So we do have a special guest. Uh, we have Brett Wetzel from the Advanced Refrigeration Podcast and the Cooler Heads Podcast. So let me bring him on real quick. Welcome, man. What's going on? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Um, I'm excited to actually be here. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm Today excited we... to have you on. I'm glad that you kind of like volunteered yourself. Uh, happy to have you on because we're going to talk about refrigerants co2 systems chillers you know this guy does everything um if you want to introduce yourself a little bit i know a lot of people probably know you from the podcast but i know you do other stuff you do trainings you do um like i said you do a lot of big commercial work um so do you want to talk about like your experience stuff that you do yeah i mean not anymore i have i have computer hands down all i do is sit on the computer all day behind, behind the scenes you know you're you're training the the next generation i am i am we're uh so I, I my name is brett wetzel i've been in the industry now i think uh 21 years fuck i'm old um i am um i've worked on anything from you know residential mini splits uh tons of chiller work i worked on ammonia for about five years and then finally ended up shut up ryan uh, and then ended up uh, going to uh, going to do a supermarket up in Connecticut. I moved up to Connecticut for a little bit, uh, did supermarket work, ended up like building their energy management department, doing a lot, whole bunch of stuff. And I've never done I, at that point in my career, I'd never done like specifically energy management. And they're like, do you think you could do it? I'm like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they I remember getting the first big ass job that I ever did. It was it was they, I get seven pallets of of energy management equipment boards and 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 just everything right and there and i was like well where's where's the prince he's like well it it you know what has to happen just make it work i'm like okay so i was up in albany for i think almost six months building i was building the whole foods up there um well that was fun yeah i don't know if you've ever pooped on a porter porter john at negative 20 degrees up in albany new york but that's that's just fun <laughs> um, hey man I'm, I'm in texas south texas i know you're from the upper north texas area yeah, uh, are you from are you in dallas i'm in dallas currently yeah so i like i grew up in pennsylvania uh moved up to connecticut and then after i herniated i herniated some disc shoveling snow so i, I realized oh. how much i hated snow so i was like <laughs> let's move somewhere warm so it was either uh this or arizona and i really didn't want to live in an oven so i decided yeah. to uh hit dallas and i was thinking oh maybe houston and i was like nope it's it's humid it's really humid it's like florida rains all the time Oh, so yeah, that one's worse because we get we get the the high humidity and stuff, but we don't get as much rain. But it's hot as hell down here. Well, you're your corpus further down. RGV, McAllen, yeah, RGV. Oh my god, I was I was down in Evalde, uh training because I, so I, I when I moved here to Texas, um, I got hired as for Coolsys, and I've been with Coolsys now I think almost eight years. Um, I, I got to be a level six technician, moved up to a level seven. And then I was getting bored and, you know, they were complaining about, you know, needing help in other branches. So I took their trouble stores. I'd go around to all their trouble stores. Basically, uh, I'd be on their ticket and I would train with the people that were having the issues with there. So you're, you're doing a bunch of things at that point, right? You're resolving the issue. That's been an ongoing issue, right? You're educating the people that you're around. So now they know how to fix that thing. They understand how it's supposed to work, the sequence of operation and stuff like that. And it just, it worked out. So that's all I kept doing. I was driving around from 
RGV to Corpus to uh, Rio Grande to uh, Houston. I was going as high as, as uh, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, um, just all over the place. And I was starting to get bored again because um, that's my problem. I get complacent. And I, I if I'm not challenged, it, it, it's not fun. I like puzzles. I like figuring, figuring shit out. And uh, I was going to move on. And, uh, you know, I was given the opportunity. They were like, well, what happens if you would, uh, if you would do what you're doing now, but like for the, for the country. And I was like, I'm listening, you know, and then we mm -hmm. just started talking about it. And that's originally what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be traveling all the country, just fixing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fixing stuff. And then, you know, cause like I said, you go out there, you know, you, you train those guys up on the issue that they're having. Now they're smarter with what they're doing. The store is going to be better, well kept. Right. So they're going to have less service calls. And then you just keep bebopping around the country to do that. And I did that a couple of times. I went out to Georgia, resolved some stuff. And uh, and then somehow, some way, uh, I, I keep failing upwards. And uh, my boss was like, you want to be in charge of all the training? And I was like, sure, let's do it. So um, I had some ideas of what I wanted to do. I started making videos for the employees. Um, I have a database of probably 200 gigs worth of information that I've saved over the past 21 years um you know uh just made a web made a website for the technicians so like not corporate fluff garbage that they don't need to know right yeah guides uh leak detection forms like anything that they would actually need the only thing i added in there for fluff was basically anytime a, a, an article is written about one of our technicians i'll put that up there because I, I i just think that's great you know what i mean when, yeah. when a technician does it we had a technician that saved a baby we had another one that that broke into a house and saved a couple that the house was on fire, like really oh, cool damn. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of stuff we, we put on there um, for recognition. Because it's like, man, you're badass. Like, why not yeah. put it up there and celebrate you? You know what I mean? Um, of course. So, yeah. So now um, we have cool, the company I work for, Cool Assist, we have, I think, over 2,000 technicians at this point, uh, yeah. four training centers. We have one in Fullerton, California. Uh, we have one in Houston, Texas, uh, mm -hmm. one in Jacksonville, Florida, and one in, I always screw this up, Menemone Falls, Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, that's, that's awesome. Um, so you do the training, you do the, uh, what do you call them, the courses, the, yeah, you know, the presentations, stuff like that? Yeah, we, we have courses uh, for each level for construction and what we refer to as our CNI, Commercial Industrial Group. Uh, we're working on curriculum that is going to be taught this year. Uh, which is part of the expansion project that I'm doing uh, for the for the other facility there in Texas, and uh, basically trying to trying to make sure everyone is as well trained as what they can be. Um, you know, we, you know, Coolis is a big company. We've acquired a yeah. lot of different companies, uh, so it's not just the you know the supermarket stuff that that they always used to do. You know, they're building and elaborating. And you know, I had a conversation with someone about wanting to put VRF in their curriculum, and they're like, I really don't. We don't really work on VRF and a couple of weeks later, they were they got a, they got a customer like, "Hey, can you work on VRF?" And so I got a phone call, and they're like, "Do you did you get that equipment yet for the VRF?" And I was like, "Not yet. I'm working on it." You know, I'm I'm talking with a, a couple manufacturers trying to trying to grease the wheels a little bit and and, and see if I can get get the stuff in there. But I don't know if anyone's aware, but like Daikin, Texas Air Systems, uh, LG, uh toshiba carrier a lot of these places that do like the vrf and the mini split they actually give free fucking free training um mm -hmm. they have uh daikin and 
to Sheba Carrier. You know, I have a training facility in Carrollton, Texas. They both have one in Carrollton, which I thought was funny. And they also both actually have one down in Houston. So nice, interesting. Yeah. So um, go ahead. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't work on a lot of that stuff. Like I'm, that's why I wanted to have you on is to talk about you know because some of the guys in the chat, like I said, they do a lot of the heavy commercial, uh, industrial stuff supermarkets you know i never got into that i do the light commercial stuff so i'm in my own little niche yeah. you know i work in restaurants uh doing light commercial like walk-in boxes and under counter freezers ice machines you know stuff like that so um all that stuff is is interesting to me and it's cool like you said the dakin and all these uh different manufacturers offer the free training because you know why not you know everybody should have or should get the knowledge uh if it's at their disposal well, that's the thing. Like, well, and, and this is the this is the key. Like, if ever I'm trying to talk to a manufacturer, I was like, "Are you sure you don't want to give me that controller?" Because you know, if you give me the controller, I can make some yeah. training around it. If I make some training for it, because I always I say always say the same thing. I'm like, you realize the lack of your training on your piece of equipment makes your equipment look like a piece of shit. And he's like, "Fair enough." So, like, uh, I'm literally got controllers falling out of my desk here. Um, yeah, I'm dealing with with one right now. The the heat craft. I'm sure everybody in my chat already knows because i've made like five videos on them. uh the intelligent I i'm not getting good answers on them uh, you have one of those too don't you okay so i didn't get to go to the booth because i went to the ahr and i i think that they, they were there mm -hmm. or i've seen some videos that they're they're doing um or they're pushing it more mm -hmm. and they have like i think even now like a, a kit that you can add on or something to to an existing or i don't know how that works but they're they're pushing the intelligent more. Yeah, I I've had issues with them. Now, I've had issues with the board. Uh, I don't know why they 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 don't give out signals sometimes. And you know, I'm trying to do everything I can check them. Signal for uh, what? Because I know the beacon. The I know the beacon. EV. Oh, okay. Because I know the beacon. The be because I, I haven't really got to really dig into it. I know it's a lot really really comparable to the beacon system. Yeah. So you have that that usually that twenty four volts that actually gets derived from the actual board that goes all the way upstairs. You know, to the actual condensing unit to give that command. Um, a lot of people get away with that with, with not wanting to run the wire. So what they'll do is there's a certain resistor that you can put in there that fakes it out. So whenever it does put the voltage out, it thinks that it's actually the contactors in and you can uh, make, you can actually make that system a straight up pump down. I, I, I like the system, but my, my problem with it, unless they changed it where uh, if it doesn't, if it's not able to pump down between two and 10 PSI, it's usually where they want you to set the pressure switch. That's not a cool thing, man. Like not every single compressor can pull down to that. No. Um, I, so this is a case in point. So I had a medium temp, uh, system one time when I was up in Connecticut, right. And the thing kept going off, going off, going off. It had a peanut short cycle, or I'm sorry, peanut low pressure switch and the peanut low pressure switch basically you can't change. Right. So this compressor periodically throughout the summer would go off on high head every, like, you know, periodically every two weeks when it would be get above 90 degrees. And what had happened was I looked at the compressor. I looked back before I was using the big Copeland blue book and in there okay. will actually state what pressure that you're supposed to set the low pressure switch for. The reason why is because if it goes any lower than that, it's working outside of its operating envelope and says, you know what, I'm giving up the ghost. And then basically just, it just, it will go off on internal and then you got to have a bag oh, of ice because yeah. it's working outside its parameter. It's working too high of a compression ratio. And that's part of the problem I have with like, uh, you know, a lot of this energy efficiency stuff where they end up driving the head pressure so freaking low, which inadvertently takes your compressor 
right? And actually oversizes it. Um, if you didn't realize, if you have a compressor, let's just say it's 10 tons, okay? Um, and you're running that sucker at uh, 120 degrees uh, saturated uh, condensing temperature for the pressure, and then you put it all the way down to 75 PSI, that compressor will actually increase in capacity by 25 to 35%. When that happens, you have more ponies, right? What's going to happen mm -hmm. to your suction pressure? It's going to go any low, even lower. So I, I know they're trying to get as much energy efficiency out of it because of the, the DOE, the Department of Energy, um, yeah. but it ends up causing a shit ton of service calls. Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, as far as my issue, it was just with the, I don't know, I, I have to swap out the board and then it works. It's just, I don't get a, I don't get that voltage to the uh, EEV. And at first I thought it was the EEV, but it's never, it's usually never those. Also make sure this L part, okay, uh -huh. is always facing towards the L and Corel. Okay. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, the orientation. The plug can only go yeah. on one way, but you can yeah. force it on there because I've had a couple calls on new stuff, and they're like, yeah, it's broken. I'm like, it, it, it's it goes now. on one way. Yeah, yeah I, I've read through the manual and everything, and I even talked to, to somebody uh, from Heatcraft or, or one of their distributors that we went through the whole troubleshooting process, but mm – -hmm. You know, I went through all that and I was like, you know what, let me just throw on another board, you know, F it, put it on and it worked. And I've already had like three of those calls. So I don't know what it is. Um, but like I like we're, what we're talking about is the whole training thing. I want them to give me some answers. I want to get some uh, uh, training on them. And I think that would help or benefit a lot of guys because when I posted those videos, I got a lot of comments. I got a lot of messages. And we even have a company that's like three hours out. Mm -hmm. They're confused too. And people that message me, they're like, oh, I just had this, the same issue and this and that. And they're like, well, I watched your video and I got through it. And there's not a lot of training on it right now. As it's far as I know. Yeah, it's amazing that you say that. So there's a certain manufacturer I went to go visit out in Georgia. And there's like 10 of them out there. So I'm, I'm good here saying this. But um, uh, I didn't realize that a lot of the manufacturers. <laughs> See, I even made my own shirt though. Oh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> Up here, it says Joe's great. Joe's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so I, I was talking with, with Kevin. And I was like, hey, I'm going to see you know this manufacturer. If I disappear or something happens because you have said something shitty about this manufacturer, um, if a rack falls on me or something like that, you know what happened, right? And I was talking to some of the people down there. And he's like, yeah, we actually have advanced refrigeration memos. I'm like what he's like yeah if you guys say something bad about our equipment we we send it to our engineers to make sure that problem <laughs> no way man so like i guarantee i mean probably heatcraft is like that fucking adrian guy he's screwing with you know he... <laughs> well, I, well i was gonna tell you afterwards but i actually got an email from them um <laughs> no 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 but they were super excited and they're like hey i would love to make some content this and that and we had a couple of exchanges and all of a sudden they ghosted me and I'm like, oh, that's probably those videos, but oh, whatever. Fucking QRC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I don't, it doesn't bother me. I'm putting out the stuff to help others, right? If they have the same issue, then they can go through it, kind of go through, you know, maybe the steps that I went through or skip the ones that I didn't need to do because I actually replaced the EV. And this was honestly the first one that I had seen. Because mm -hmm. um, our customer, because we we do a lot of mechanical down here, so like we're way behind. Um, we never even saw the the beacon system or anything like that. So 
I'm used to mechanical all day. And when I saw that, I immediately, because I even went through like the test mode and the, the service mode. Like I tried to do, do everything I can and check for the, the voltage. Um, and I got everything and I was like, okay, this EV has to be bad or, or something. And I don't have that little, I know they make like a magnet where you can manually. Uh, well, you, if you loosen up, yeah, but if you loosen up this nut and take this off, you can actually okay. twist the, the, the stator on there and it'll actually open up. Just manually? Yeah. Like, so if I, I was, I was told we needed a magnet, like a special magnet, take it off next time. It's a fucking magnet inside here. So if you twist yeah. this, I can actually make this valve fluctuate open and close. So, oh, you know, okay. sometimes, sometimes it won't do it. You know, if, if the, the valve is mechanically bad and that's the other thing, that's why I grabbed this again. So one of the things I do want to tell you, all these valves are bipolar or by, by flow. You can actually have flow going oh. this way and flow going this way, but, 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 but they, you know, they really want you to feed the liquid into here on into this side okay yeah the reason for that is if you were to go the other way then that means that this would get this would get colder right if this would end up being the suction this is where all the gears this is where all the electric yeah. is so it causes excessive condensation in there and will actually prematurely fail the valve it, it, it's feasible it will go in either direction but there's a there's a the reason why they want you to do it a certain way because basically by putting in liquid here you're warm and then it doesn't get cold until the end here but if you run the liquid in here it's going to get started getting cold down here which means this whole assembly is going to get cold which yeah. means you have more of a chance of, of potentially screwing up the valve well i i did a whole bunch of unnecessary steps because i thought it was the valve i replaced it so the thing is when it when it failed it failed, I think, pumped down, so it was closed. Mm -hmm. I couldn't open it, mm -hmm. and uh, I replaced it. And I, I believe, unless I have it backwards, but I believe they come already like in the open position. They do when you when you get them new. So I thought I fixed it because it ran and it worked. I left and I came back, and they said the the machine is freezing and never turned off. Mm -hmm. So then, okay, I was like, well, it's not the valve. We replaced the board and it and it fixed it. So. And then just based on conversations I've had with other guys that are, you know, that do uh, these electronic expansion valves, they always tell me it's it's really never the EEV. Um, they hardly ever go out. So then, you know, my next calls, I kind of took that into, or I kept that in mind. And it's usually something with the signals. I'm not getting a signal. I've had relays go bad and, and things on the board. So it's usually like that kind of issue, which kind of sucks because, you know, I, I I love their equipment. They're super easy to install. Mm -hmm. um, the ones that we have, like they don't communicate with the condenser. The condenser is just a nice, you know, new uh, microchannel contactor. You know, it's real simple. We don't have anything that communicates back and forth. Uh, no, okay, so they got rid of that then. They thank God. Um, I don't know. We don't. We haven't seen that because our customer orders their own uh, equipment for that one, and they have gone with intelligent and, and heatcraft and uh yeah usually it's it's a mechanical uh condenser and then uh we just hook up the intelligent evaporator of course you have to make sure you set it up right too because it's going to ask you if it's if there's a condenser uh communicating with it or anything like that so um, well, I did, I, well, that's why I look because I couldn't remember. I know that the beacon, you know, had that wire that connected. There is an output on the on the blue terminals all the way on the right, and that's yeah. should, that's where it should be sending that signal up. But like I said, sometimes you'll see if someone didn't want to do that because it was 
an old, you know, an old install that they were just changing into a beacon. They were like, I'm not running wire up there. They'll put in a resistor up there and basically just set it up as a regular pump down. Yeah. And I learned that too, because you they, like, it's also how you set it up. Cause they, I think I went through one of the first ones with them over the phone, or I think they text me They they, I, I tried to reach out to their customer service and the guy ended up texting me and he, he was able to answer my questions through text, which, you know, was cool and all, but, um, yeah <laughs> i'm sorry so, i'm just uh, showing joe yeah so we uh we put a few of those in like i said they're super easy to put in especially that way like it's not it's not communicating with anything or, or anything like that on the roof you just put it in it's self-contained and it just goes off on like uh the solenoid right the eev is a solenoid and the yeah, expansion valve two and one your compressor will shut off on uh pressure switches and all that they're super simple. The only thing is when they go bad, at least the board, you're kind of shit out of luck because there's not much you can do because that controls everything. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the only thing. That's, that's the only bad thing. Yeah. Um, and there's, there'd be a way around it, but you'd have to, you'd have to play around with it. So Sporlin makes a bipolar um, stepper board. And you could, you, there's jumpers on there that you, on, on the multiple one that you can actually select how many steps, right? Because like Sporlin SER valves, you know, AA through D are all 2,500 steps. If you have EPRs, uh, you know, like a CDS uh, 9 through 20, I believe is, is 6,386 steps. So like they all have their own steps. So you get this yeah. one board and you can actually select how many steps that that, that, that thing is and then you can give it a, a, a comparable signal and it'll step it based off of that okay because we had one that uh like yeah there's ways around it because we had one that that the relay for the fans gave out just randomly i think and i just put in a because it was a freezer i just put in a uh what do you call it the fan delay mechanical on mm -hmm. the side yeah. so that they would cut in and out and then we got them going that way until we got a new board in but you know, it's just, I guess you got to get creative with this new, this new stuff. Cause a lot of it's like, you know, the board goes out. That's kind of the, the head, you know, the brain, everything that, that it does goes through there. Yeah. hundred percent. Man, uh, I don't know if you're reading the chat. Uh, I saw I Joe was in there. Yeah. Jen uh, said you're thirsty AF. <laughs> Oh, here we go. We got Jonathan. He's asking, where's Kevin? Uh, actually, it's funny. So we, when we do like the podcast, we, we do record the video, but we never put it out usually unless, you know, there, there's stuff that we're being show, like someone showing us stuff. And usually Kevin, I don't know what it is. The room that he's in, he looks like he looks like he <laughs> is like the Unabomber. I'm just going to say it. Um, he, he it's very, very dark. You can't see him. He doesn't like doing live stuff at all. Like it's it like the first time we did HR in oh my god Vegas Vegas when we went to Vegas like he, oh yeah yeah it was it, he just I don't know he just doesn't really dig doing like live stuff you know what I mean so purposely he doesn't like to or he does that that setup because I've seen it uh, what you're talking about on the on the video or the live stream when he comes out is that on purpose then. I do. I don't know. I don't know. As I told him, I was like, I'll get you, I'll get you a, a fancy, a, a fancy uh, tween girl, you know, uh, uh, light for yourself. Light. You can actually see, you know, he's like, no, I don't want that shit. Okay. 
Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that. Um, I lost a comment, but someone was asking, would you rather work, I guess, work in 120 degrees or negative 20 degree weather? Because you, you've seen both. What's the coldest? Have. What's the coldest you've been in? Negative 27. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I, there was, there was nut high snow on the roof and I, there was a, a rack that was, it was a critically charged rack and it was low on charge and the valves that, that did the critical charging aspect of it weren't really working all that well. And I couldn't even, I had three cylinders of 407A and I couldn't even get the 407A in the rack because it was too cold so i had to take yeah. all three cylinders and throw them in a slop sink to warm them up with warm water and finally get in the rack and i couldn't get the head pressure above it was delving like 25 to 35 pounds it was just that cold and that fucking windy it just it would the head pressure just wouldn't build and I can, so i can't imagine that because like i said down here it, it's warm like all year round i know yeah. you guys up there kind of do get colder weather uh than down here and it's it's funny because texas is so big where there's different like areas because i had um efren on the other week and he's from the austin area mm -hmm. and he's like you know the attics up here are not as bad as as they are down there because he's been here before too yeah and i'm like yeah dude like i like i just moved into this house not too long ago mm -hmm. and i had to get in the attic a couple times and i'm like oh man like i see people online posting and they're in the attics recording and stuff and i'm like if i go in mine like i start like buckets of sweat i'm already like ready to get out of there but it's different because of like the humidity the the area that you're in and we don't get a lot of cold weather so that one year that we had that freeze um that real bad one a couple years ago that i think we had like i think we've was i've February. never seen it it was yeah i've never two seen years it. ago i don't think i've worked in it personally but that year or like prior to that but that year we were under 20 degrees and i've mm -hmm. never worked in that so I'm out there, you know, of course, there's units out there that I'm a, like, I don't think they leaked out or anything. It's just that nobody properly charges them uh, by weight. You know, they put them in and they charge it up and it works on the hottest day. But then when it gets cold, you know, they start acting up for you that talk, charge. You're talking about split system, split refrigeration system? Yeah, like in a walk-in walk yeah. box because um, they have receivers and all that, you know, to hold the, the extra charge. But well, you're supposed to, I mean, like, as, if you don't, have, obviously, if you don't have insulation on there, what you're supposed to do is fill that receiver in summertime up to yeah. about 60%, because then that, that 60% will actually then get, go down to 15 or 20% when it, you know, when it goes in full holdback mode. Right. And it's cool. Yeah. Like, in, in commercial refrigeration, you have grass for everything. Um, but to answer your question, I, I man, <laughs> negative 20 sucks. But so does plus 120. They're, they're, they both equally suck. At least when you're negative 20, like uh, I, I look like I'm going, uh, I look like a kid from a Christmas story where I can't put my fucking arms down. Yeah. So I'm so <laughs> bundled up. Um, but no, 120 sucks. I was actually working down in Evalde the one time and I was yeah. asking, asking the cats down there. I was like, Cabron, I was like, what do you do? I was like, I can't, I'm, I'm sitting on this unit and my ass is on fire. Like I, and I tried kneeling. I'm like, no, everything was on fire. No matter yeah, what I do, yeah. cardboard's your friend. Uh, he's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's, it's, you know, it's Evalde. What are you going to do? Yeah, man. Cause like that time, uh, I had to put in some charge, you know, some, uh, 404 systems and you got to warm up that tank one way or another and just to get it in there. And 
you know, trying to charge it in, in that kind of weather mm-hmm. kind of sucks. But yeah, I, I've, I didn't used to do that. I, well, I would always try and weigh it in, but um, once I learned the receiver, I guess, trick, um, usually I, I was told like around three quarters, something like that. So, All right. you know, check it, pump it down, check it. I started doing that and that's, that's a little easier, especially when you're just trying to top off the unit, you know, they might not have a leak. It just probably wasn't recharged properly. I ran into that a lot. It's funny. Cause like, you know, we'll pick up a customer, the unit's fine all, all summer or whatever. And then like all of a sudden in the winter, like they start calling, like all of them are down or whatever. So. Well, that, that, that's what I was saying about commercial refrigeration. They have so many sensors on everything. It's yeah. really amazing. Like, you know, I, so one of the big box stores, they, they put pressure transducers on their single systems. So they can monitor it, right? So you'll see it where the, the head pressure will, will be fine during the day. And then as soon as the head, pre- as soon as it starts getting colder out, what's going to happen? It's going to start jamming more refrigerant into the condenser trying to raise the head pressure rate. And then you'll see the discharge pressure start delving down and it'll be like 10, 15 pounds right below of what the head pre- head pressure headmaster is set for. Cause it's mm-hmm. bypassing like a bastard trying to fill up that receiver, but it just doesn't have enough head. It can't, there's not enough refrigerant to back it up on, on that unit. So it's really neat. You can see like, as the temperature starts going down, you can actually see the temperature of the box actually start going up. And so if you see that happen with the pressure transducer reading underneath the headmaster, 99.9% of the time, it's undercharged, unless the headmaster is totally just screwed. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen, you know, a lot of that stuff in the winter. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of like, you, you get, or you have a better idea the more you see it. Um, where was Jennifer? The hottest she's worked in is, in, I guess, 90 degrees. Yeah, she lives up in like Deliverance, Maine. <laughs> no, like we had a what are we June already? Like I think early May or even April, we had like hundred degree weather um, already, and it's you know AC season. And and today we were doing, of course, one of our customers. Like I've been bugging him and bugging him to do maintenance, and then like of all days, you know, or of all months they decide oh this is the month we want to start that can you do it already that was hot as hell um and to me like i get i'm out there trying to and i cover up i wear the sleeves big old hat you know i've already learned my lesson i used to come home like toasted and stuff and uh it helps but the sun like especially down here or just in texas in general i know like you said arizona is another bad one uh california can get some heat waves too and uh man i was just like so tired after that maintenance i mean it's just maintenance right but i was like so tired just because of the sun i i I was that one chocolate plant i worked at um they they had this thing called the tunnel it was a a tunnel that was probably about 65 65 feet long it had probably 25 four or five fan bone evaporators that were staggered and so this chocolate plant um you know, they, they, they basically took the took the raw bean from Guatemala, roasted it, you know, got it down to its chocolate powder form. But the, one of the side products actually made in chocolate production is uh, is is uh, oil, oil, uh, cocoa butter, cocoa butter. Right. Oh, OK. And uh, so they, they have these big vats of hundreds of gallons of hot what they call hot liquor. It's just basically melted chocolate. 
So it might be 100 degrees in Pennsylvania, but inside that mother, it was like 120 degrees. And I was dying that it was just awful. It was just awful freaking hot. So I'm like, what can I find today? It's going to make it a little bit easier on me today. Cause like, I would literally just go there every day. They had over 50 to 75 pieces of equipment. Like I said, ranging from a mini split to a, a packaged frick, um, uh, ammonia chiller. Right. Um, so I'm basically be bopping around trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm like, I'm going to go change fans in the, in the, uh, in the tunnel. So I was like, I was already sweating hot and you know how it is. You get kind of drowsy when you get that hot. And I yeah. jumped in this tunnel. The tunnel set point would be staggered from like, 65 to 55 to 65 because it basically was trying to pull the humidity out and cool the chocolate uh fast enough or i'm sorry not too fast that it actually ends up sweating when it comes out Mm -hmm. um so that's how they do they would stagger stagger the temperature and i remember laying in there i was like i closed the door behind me i was like i got my flashlight in here whatever and that was the last thing i remembered i woke up and i'm like oh my god i'm fucking freezing where the hell am i (laughs) and i saw the little bit of light and i'm like no because like basically you had this big stainless steel uh sheet that was the big conveyor belt it was probably four 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 feet wide and they had this big uh press that would basically give you like non-parels or like hershey kisses or stuff like that like on this one production table and i literally i i, I don't know how long i was out for probably maybe a good 20 minutes but it was, it was inside the factory it was about 125 that day um it's it just it, you know some of these places you just get brutal i mean i i don't I don't know how you do, uh, you know, where you live all the time. I, that's, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing, sir. It, you're, it, you're, it's you're crazy. Yeah. You've been down here before, right? Yeah. yeah. You're familiar with, with, with the Valley and stuff. Mm-hmm. It gets, it gets pretty brutal. I feel like it gets hotter every year, uh, as well, but, um, yeah, like today, like, like I was, I was just doing maintenance, a lot of maintenance, you know, I had help. My brother was with me. We tried to knock it out, but I was like so tired after work like sleepy and you know all that so uh, I, I remember my first summer here from connecticut and i was dead i was i was absolutely dead and i think i think my team lead because i'd never been a team lead because i didn't want to because like they have to deal with dispatch i was like yeah. dude i'll diagnose everything all day, all day long i don't give a shit about that i was like i just don't want to deal with the dispatch you figure out where i need to go and where everyone else needs to go whatever and i remember it was 115 in dfw and he uh i think he quit probably six or eight times that weekend because we'd knock out like six calls and all of a sudden eight or 12 would come in he's like i'm quit i'm fine you know and just this kept going on so at one point um you know i told everyone to go home because i had started a little bit later because i had worked late the night before uh before the day on call and i was like dude what just it was i think it was about two o'clock in the morning i was like dude just have everyone go home right now he's like well what are you gonna do i was like i'll just take all the calls until until the morning so i worked and i worked until about I think 1030 in the morning and then where I finally started, you know, talking, talking them up. But it's one of those things where that heat is just so damn brutal. And like, and I thought, you know, I'd be fine just drinking a whole bunch of water. No, no, you can't drink that that fast, especially when you're that exhausted and that tired. Yeah, man, it's well, blogger here was like asking if we, if we use sunscreen, I just, you need to do whatever you can cover up. Like I started, I was going to do the sunscreen route, but I just, I, I cover up long sleeves or uh, arm sleeves. I have my gloves on all the time. I have a big hat with a neck guard, um, anything you can, but then also just take the breaks, get out, get out of there. I, I went to my van a couple of times just for, you know, five minutes, cool off. Um, and some guys were, were talking about addicts up here too in the, in the chat and addicts are even worse because it's a confined space. Uh, 
if you're by yourself, you know, nobody knows if you pass out up there or anything like that. So yeah. take a break. Um, the heat is no joke. Uh, yeah, see, I'm over here. Sunscreen is for weak body. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> I like I like using the sleeves, honestly, like the cooling sleeves and stuff like that. Um, I'm Irish. Yeah. So I, like I, I kind of tan a little bit because I got a little bit of German in me. But for the most part, I'm kind of like my mother where I just freckle and like all the freckles oh, okay. make a tan. So, um, you know, but, but yeah, the, I, I have to, I have to do something. Otherwise I, I, I burn and then I'm a little girl for at least a week living in, <laughs> in, in aloe. Yeah. I and mean, I used to get like crazy tans. I just tried to try to cover up. Um, let me like go to chat real quick. Yeah. Brian over here, Brett, what PSI do ammonia chillers run? I mean, I guess, I guess it would be like whatever saturated that you're trying to maintain. Right. So um, you could have an ammonia chiller that's doing like a brine solution, right? Uh, for like an ice rink. So you could have like a 20 degree saturated. I don't, I'd have to look at the pressure off the top of my head. It's really going to depend on what you're trying to, what you're trying to pull that temperature down to. Right. Um, if you're trying to do, I mean, there's, there's some ammonia systems that do run into a vacuum, um, to get a lower, to get a lower saturated suction. But fortunately for ammonia, uh, ammonia systems actually have what's called a purger. So, um, you know, not that it's, good practice to do that but you can just leave the air in there and just let it let it ride because the purger as long as it's working will theoretically work um obviously it's not good for the system and would not recommend it but you know that purger's there because you can you you know when you're using a vacuum pump uh you got to remember ammonia will eat through anything that's brass and copper there is no brass and copper on any of these uh, ammonia systems it's either black pipe stainless um yeah that's really about it and so you can't use you know, even the expansion valves, like the mechanical expansion valves are stainless steel. Um, so it'll, it'll eat through everything. So when you're using like, like any kind of vacuum pump, whether it be JV, Richie, you know, whatever, um, that vacuum pump, when you're doing ammonia, it usually has a lifespan of about a year, maybe two, because the, 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 all the brass workings that are inside that vacuum pump end up, you know, shit in the bed because you're, you're basically deteriorating. Ammonia is a nasty, nasty thing. It, it's not only, uh, not only you can get your, your regular burns that you would, but it, it loves moisture and it loves moisture so much that like, so when you, when you're working on an ammonia system, if you're going to pump down a system, what you do is pump it down like you would any, any other system, but you know, it, because it has a GWP of zero, you can just blow it, but you can't mm -hmm. blow it because then it will kill you. Um, so you, you actually, uh, take a, a you know three toes coming off the system um off of whatever vapor now that you're pulling that, that you just have nothing but vapor and you put it in a five gallon bucket full of water and basically what will happen is it, it'll have this chemical reaction like if you if you put too much vapor too quick into a five gallon bucket it will start to boil yeah because of the chemical reaction it just it loves water um but yes it, you know brian asked answer your question it, it really depends on what saturated that you're trying to run right if you're trying to make I'd, I'd have to look at a PT chart in order to be 100% sure. Um, but Yeah, no, PT charts are your best friend because, you know, we have to deal with so many so many things because I always get asked that too. Uh, Ryan, do I sound better? He pointed out my mic wasn't even working. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still learning all this stuff, the whole podcast, but um, I always get asked that. And I, I used to work with a lot of guys that would ask me, like, what, what should my pressures be? What should my suction pressure be and i'm like i don't i don't need to or they would tell me what their readings were and i'm like i don't need to know that i need to know what's the temperature yeah saturated. saturated temperature and then give me your, your condensing temperature because 
I can go, I can give you way better uh, tips and troubleshooting stuff or diagnosing versus like numbers, PSI numbers. Well, this, uh, this so did you do HVAC first before you did refrigeration or was it the other way around? I went right into refrigeration. That's okay, what I mostly so do. That's why, because any other cat that you talk to, typically when you talk to someone that does HVAC, and you're like, you know, what do you have? Well, on a hundred degree day, your suction pressure <laughs> on 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 four ten A should be about one hundred twenty pounds, and your the hour twenty two is about sixty eight pounds. So, like that, I can tell yeah. right away when when you just do HVAC. When you talk to a reefer guy, not that kind. So, Jason Johnson, <laughs> don't get excited. Um, you know, basically, you you're always talking saturated, like, and I and I do it all the time. Because there's 400,000 different freaking refrigerants, right? Oh, yeah. So it, remembering all that PT chart, like it's certain numbers I can remember. Like I can remember, uh, what's the 18, 18 degrees saturated for 449 is 43 pounds. And it probably because only because I programmed it 60,000 times. But like, give me saturates. I don't, I don't need to know pressures. That's not going to do me any good. Just give me, give me the saturated. I'll be able to help you out. Yeah. Cause uh, even, even the gauges, like, and, and we've had this conversation or I've had it with guys and, you know, about digital. It <laughs> It's hard to recommend analogs. And I know Yellow Jacket just came out with one that has like the 440, whatever, I think refrigerants on it now. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the longest time, I was like, yeah, analogs are the way to go and you should learn on that. But it's getting a little harder now because we have so many different refrigerants, especially on the, on the refrigeration side. And uh, I mean, at this point, you need to know your saturation and, and a PT chart. So you're going to be using your phone either way. If you go analog or whatever, you need a PT chart, either see, this, phys- physically or like on your phone or something like that. See, this is an argument I have with Kevin all the time because I'm like, I think a new kid should have to read the freaking pressure. Give him, Just give him a set of pressure gauges. No temperature on there. Make him use the, either the PT chart or the phone because yeah. I think people get kind of complacent. Like, like, oh, it says five degrees of superheat, but... I've had guys give me that and they're like, well, I don't even have the refrigerant set up right. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, I, I had the liquid in the suction temperature sensor switch. So it, I had like 8,000 degrees of subcooling, you know, like they're, they're, they're just being able to hook it up and, and being able to understand those numbers. I think it has more value than just mm-hmm. letting gauges do, do, do the work for you. Yeah. They, I mean, they kind of do. I, I, I have the, uh, the field piece set. I'm, but I feel like I paid my dues. I already have, you know, that under my belt that I had the analogs for so long. And it does make it easier. And I guess you can get too dependent on it. But at the same time, the convenience of having all the refrigerants in there and then they'll update it, you know, through software updates to add more to it. Um, that's the part where I'm like, well, you know, they can be helpful. But if not, you know, analogs read the number but then go get a pt chart read the temperatures and and go about it that way but yeah we have a lot of uh, refrigerants now we do we like down here i think we're still dealing with 404 mm. i never saw like r12 i never saw um i don't know what it was like 502, 502. yeah um i saw a little bit of r22 there was some systems like that we had that had that like uh, rtus uh, for the most part, we were able to change them out. Um, you know, a lot of 410. I have not seen the new ones like 448, 449, any of those yet. They, we're still they dealing have, with 404. They have them down that area. They do. A lot, a lot of the, 
the bigger supermarkets. Uh, I'm not going to say it, but you know, you know the the big one in Texas, right? You know that they're, okay. yeah. they're they're so on trying to go sustainable refrigerants. So like currently they're doing, um, they're doing what's called a cascade system. So you have uh, an HFC or an HFO for a primary, right? So you the you know they're either using 449, 448, um, or uh, 513A, which essentially mm-hmm. is just R134A with a little sprinkle of R1234XY. And I'm oh, really, not, okay. really not making that up. That's what that's basically yeah. what makes that thing an HFO. It's that little yeah, bit. Yeah, I thought of, I didn't think that was real when I first heard it. I was like, really? <laughs> Someone that's was like, a weird name. Stop, stop screwing with me. Yeah, Maybe I know. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. That's amazing. That's the kind of combination an idiot has on his luggage. Love it's like that, that passcode that everybody tries to use one two three four um yeah we have we don't see those but i don't do a lot of supermarkets uh like coca-cola is also one that does some different stuff too because uh, i work in hospitals and you know they got new equipment whether it's pepsi coolers or coca-cola coolers mm-hmm. and the label i'll read the labels just because i'm walking around doing like maintenance and stuff and i just want to know like what it is and mm-hmm. you know they have all these weird refrigerants and stuff that i haven't seen yet so i guess they're on top of it too, I guess the bigger companies um, that are going that route, but I still see 404, 410, and then all the R22 that I did see, we did convert to uh, 407C. That's for what the, for the HVAC, that's, right? That's what we went with, yeah. Okay, but for refrigeration, I would I would recommend going for well, I mean, I'd skip the 407A at this point, but just go go yeah. to the HFO, the 448 and 449, because that's the thing. Like with all these new new things. Uh, you know the the EPA snap snap band. Um, there, there there's so many different things that you have to watch for because certain certain different types of refrigerant can only have so much. So I think right now propane is up to five grams, and I think they're 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 contemplating going to ten grams. Um, the thing about propane is is it, it it actually really does have a very high BTU per pound uh, as far as number. Like you could actually run a whole rack that would that would typically take two or three hundred pounds of uh of, you know a normal and normal hfc or hfo and replace that with 50 or 33 pounds of propane and it would yeah, actually crazy. run your whole freaking store it's freaking re- ridiculous like so um I, I deal a lot with the north america sustainable refrigerant council uh they they put on this thing down in irwindale it was all about sustainable refrigerant so they had they went over there were 17 different manufacturers from HT to zero zone to uh husband to Hill Phoenix to uh, let's see HT uh, true true was out there. Cause they, they, there was like two or three people doing uh, propane, a couple different manufacturers of, of energy management systems. Um, and they, you know, they talked about all the different types. So you have you know, a lot of times what people are doing now, especially with the HT stuff, which is, it's really cool. The stuff gets put together pretty easily. Um, they have uh, these micro distribution systems, so they have the compressors out there on the sales floor. But if you had a whole supermarket filled with a whole bunch of self-contains, it's going to get really hot in there, right? Yeah. So what they do is very, very easily um, is they take a glycol loop and run it throughout the store. And every single one of these self-contains, instead of having an air-cooled condenser, now it has a, a water-cooled uh, braze plate heat exchanger. So then you have a circuit setter on there, you set that. And then, so in the summertime, you expel that heat outside and then depends on how advanced you want to get, 
Adrian, instead of wasting that heat and blowing it outside, let's just say you're in the middle of summer and your air conditioning is just tanking the temperature down and it just, it's cold in there, but it's humid, right? Cause it didn't yeah. actually pull off moisture. So you want to add a little bit of heat in there to make up for that. So that's what they do. They'll actually divert the glycol that they're using to go out to the dry cooler outside to expel the heat off of the condensers. And instead of that, they'll divert the flow to an inside air handler and then use that heat that they're actually getting from all the, all the uh, propane or, or whatever self-contains they have there and basically utilize that heat to uh, heat up the store. Well, yeah, that's a whole bunch of stuff that, that I haven't seen. Uh, and it's, it, it's interesting, you know, the, like even what you were talking about, the, the capacity on all that stuff, like uh, people are like, cause like Jennifer right now was like, I sue, what did she say? Something goes boom. You know, everybody's afraid of, of R290 and, and all these propane refrigerants. But in reality, it's, it takes less, to do so but i mean we'll we'll see where it goes like the only r290 i've seen is on undercounter coolers and freezers and they have about two and a half ounces you know something like that yeah um yeah so you have you have a1s which are like your 407as your 407cs your 407fs 404 a uh 507 452 and 134 a um and then you have your a1s which are you know, uh, still non-flammable. So your 448s, your 449s, basically all your HFOs, your 450s, your 515s. Then the next one you have is your A2Ls, which would be your your 455s, your 454s, and your HFO. Yeah, one, two, three, four. You know, it's YF. I'm sorry, it's YF. I was I was wrong. And then you have your naturals, which would be your 744. Um, your, your, your ammonia, or I'm sorry, your CO2, uh, you have your 290, which is your propane and your ammonia, which is 717. So ammonia actually has no GWP whatsoever. So no harm, no foul. We're back in the days of R12 and you can just blow it. Right. Um, same thing with, with propane, same thing with CO2. Um, CO2 has a, has a global warming potential of one and propane is, I think it's three, it's three. Um, but the, you know, like you said, there's also limits with how much weight that you can actually have, right? Um, you know, based off of the stipulations, we were just, we had just had a conversation the other day with um, Joe Summers from from Emerson. We were talking about A2Ls, mm-hmm. and you know, because I asked him, I'm like, can you retrofit any of these systems? He's like, no, not at all. <laughs> I was like, well, why yeah. not? He's like, because a lot of the stuff is designed specifically for that. Because the more flammable, right? The the more precautions they have to take, right? So different relays right instead of having open relays they might be able to spark they want something enclosed that doesn't happen um uh what else did he say there's certain components that they had to get tested uh no flares not not at all all the components had to get re-verified to make sure i always say that wrong it's not re-verified just verified (laughs) verified that they're actually going to work um my english is not well um so you have you have uh, all those other stipulations. So you can't actually take a system and just make it an A2L system. You have to buy a brand new system. Everything has to be fitted for that. Um, and, oh yeah, and- it makes sense. Uh, like I said, I, I I just started seeing those um, those undercounter ones R290. I haven't actually had to work on them yet because mm-hmm. I don't think you're even supposed to like leave service ports on them or anything like that. You have to make sure they're sealed and everything. Yeah. Um, I've seen Chris, you know, Chris Stevens on his videos. So, you know, I have 
I have knowledge of it just from watching him, but the ones that I found are still under warranty. So they got the company that sold it to them or, or brought it out. To. Fix it. Yeah. So I've already found like three evaps that are leaking, you know, the little micro leaks and stuff. So uh haven't had a chance to work on them, but I've seen a couple of them. Yeah. And that's, and that's the one thing that people get scared about. Like you, you know, cause what you're going to do is when you're, when you go to braise it off, right. That's why you use hoses that no are no longer bigger than a foot. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, even your center hose isn't really that long. So everything is very in close quarters because, you know, you, you know, as well as I do, you know, liquid charge in, in you know, for a, for a set of hoses, you could fit like five or six ounces. Well, shit, that's the whole charge plus some for, for something that small. Right. So, we're, you yeah. know, we have to be a little bit more precise when we're charging. Um, you know, one of the biggest things with A2Ls and, and, and any kind of flammable refrigerator, it's, it's just, you have to take a little bit more precaution. Right. So, um, you know, they tell you uh, that you should use nitrogen to just blow through the system, just blow through the system and just blow anything out because you're making sure you're basically picking up all that propane or A2L out of the system yeah. and totally. And, you know, they also tell you to do it outside. I don't know if everyone's wheeling out those refrigerators outside, but, you know, that's what they tell you to do. Um, and, you know, when, when you go to braze everything shut, once you're all set, you're supposed to pinch and then pinch and then basically cut and then braze off that end. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's only a little bit of, of refrigerant. So, I mean, you know, it's it's not horrible. I've done, yeah, it. I've only, to, I've only done it once or twice. Yeah, you just have to, you know, know the procedures and, and just take your time and make sure you do it the way they want you to do it. Um, I, I don't know what's up with my comments. I can't see the chat in StreamYard like after like almost 20 minutes ago. So I have my iPad pulled up and that was Ryan's question was like, how do you seal it up after you're done working with it? So it's a pinching tool, a uh, pinch off tool. That's probably where you'd use the hot block, right? You know, just to, oh, make, yeah. just to ensure, right? Cause you want to keep that shit cool, right? You don't want to run the risk of heating, heating it up because you don't want to trap any propane in there as well. That's the other thing, sure. right? Yeah. And that, that's another thing, the hot, like you have like all this stuff at your disposal, the hot block, I've had situations where I wish I, I would have known about it or, or remembered, you know, mm -hmm. to use it, especially like on a uh, aluminum coils. Cause I had this roll hard repair to do right where the, on the, it was a Lennox unit that went out to a micro channel, you know, aluminum, but it was copper to the aluminum coil. Mm -hmm. I had a crack, I had a leak on the copper and then I had a crack on the aluminum. So yeah. I, I was talking to somebody and they're like, that they've done the same thing and they use hot block. And I'm like, Oh man, I never thought about that. So, you know, cause that uh, obviously aluminum different, um, melting point, melting point and all that from copper. And then when you make that joint, it's a lot that we have to deal with. You just have to kind of like, you know, just know your resources or, or your uh, tools at your disposal. And that's another question that I had actually was somebody asked on Instagram, what's the best way to charge? An R290 system. Now you mentioned that the hoses and stuff. I know they have like a mini set now, right? For the mm -hmm. R290 system specifically. J JB, I think, sells them. They're, they're almost they almost look like small hydraulic hoses, but they're still color coded, still blue, yeah. yellow, and, and red. Um, they just look like hydraulic hoses or or almost like hoses that you'd see on a on a split system, like for a high pressure control or some shit. That's what that basically is what it looks like. Yeah, with R290, you just have to be careful because it's it's like 
very critically charged. Like I said, I, I had one that was like around three ounces or two and a half. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Um, I mean, it was a small cooler, but still. Uh, and then you have to, I think the, I have an R290 can and, you know, they're the little, they're little cans and you need to invert like it. Tall. Yeah. And you need to invert it and they sell like a holder for it too, to put on your scale. Cause you got to, I, like I said, this one was in ounces, but most of the times you're going to be putting in like grams Mm-hmm. and uh you know measuring that out so if you guys work on r290 there's going to be a couple of you know little tools that you need to pick up here and there just to make your life easier um i've seen guys get away with you know kind of just making up their own thing and and you know inverting it putting a short hose and getting away with it but they do make tools for that stuff now and like i said even yellow jacket i think just came out with um a new analog set that has the scales for like newer refrigerants because we're going away from 410 we're like it's crazy to say we're going away from 410 404 yeah and i actually had somebody that was like because i was working on a 410 system and i had to condemn it you know the coils were trashed um Mm -hmm. it wasn't worth repairing like that it needed a lot of repairs and they're in the comments like what do you mean it's it's a 410 system like that that should be like uh that's still new or something like that and I'm like, you do realize we've been using 410 for a long time now. Some of these units have been out here 20 years, 15 years, whatever it may be. It's not that new anymore. We're going to, you know, newer things like very soon. You're really not doing anything for my self-confidence here. I, I know. I, I remember when it was called Puron <laughs> instead of just regular you know, refrigerant. Oh, yeah, Puron. Because remember, I, th- I believe Carrier created 410A. So they had yeah. their own their own name for it. And then, yeah. Fuck, I'm old. God damn it. Well, how long have you been doing this? You said 20... 20 almost 21 years, I think. Right, so yeah, I, I've, I've been, been I've been doing this going on 16. So I, I count my electronics. So I so I originally it was weird. So um, I moved out of my house when I was real young. Uh, I was homeless for about two years. I put myself through college. Uh, I got a degree in electronic engineering. Um, and I hated what I was doing. Like I, I went, got the degree and I was doing cell phone remanufacturing. And I was building graphic dimming panels for football stadiums and hospitals so you went you got into electrical engineering yeah that's what i was that's what i had well that's what i was going to college for before i switched over to hvac so i got laid off from those jobs because i might have did it on purpose and uh i just wanted to do something else i was just bored and and i was going to become a trucker i don't know why i'm just like yeah i'm gonna drive a big rig i'm gonna be like hoffa who knows (laughs) and so i decided uh uh I applied for a job. It said um, water treatment for industrial cooling towers and boilers. Scientific needed. So a scientific degree not required, but, you know, would be appreciated or whatever the hell it said in there. I was like, I got an engineering degree. Does that matter? Like, and he's like, yeah, all right. Yeah. So I started talking to guys like me, like doing, just doing commercial, commercial refrigeration, supermarkets and shit like that. So like I was testing water. So this was my day. I'd fill up water. Yeah. It's hard water. All right, more chemical. And then I would just go all over the place. And then I was driving all over the tri-state and in the lovely, lovely state of New Jersey. Um, and I was working in the Newark, New Jersey Public Housing Authority. So in the wintertime, uh, their basements become uh, places of, uh, you know, they, they make them out of homes. And so you're in the boiler room and then you, you're, you turn around and all of a sudden it's like, what are you doing in my house, boy? I'm getting the hell out of here. So I did that for a couple of years and that's how I got interested. I started talking to guys like, like us. And I was like, what do you do? 
well, mm-hmm. we make shit cold. I'm like, how does how does that work? You know, so they they explained and I was like, cool. So I went I went to school for a semester of of community college for HVAC. And after that semester, the instructor pulls me aside. He's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like real excited. I'm like, I want to be a mechanic. You know, this is what I want to do. <laughs> and so he he's like, you have a degree in electronical engineering. I'm like, yeah. He's like, 75% of the, this job from here on out is going to be mostly electrical and controls. Mm-hmm. He's like, you understand the theory. Just go get a freaking job. So I did. Um, I I quit that job. I ended up getting a job. I didn't even have tools. I actually, I, I got my first credit card. I went to Home Depot, maxed out a $2,000 credit card, <laughs> and then took a cash advance on it so I could get, so I can get a little bit of money so I can um, buy gauges and shit. Because I, you know, yeah. Home Depot does not sell gauges so yeah <laughs> um you know so i bought the the cheapest pair of gauges and i just basically just worked my way up and like i said started in in uh, residential um oh okay worked on uh, i got to work on industrial uh compressors air compressors for a little bit that was kind of interesting they got some cool stuff going on in there and uh just bebopped around until i i ended up just kind of sticking with supermarket i like supermarket it's 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 a lot of hour it uh, can be a lot of hours yeah um, but it, it, it never gets boring. It's it's always something different. With like, with industrial, like big cold storage facilities, you know, they might call you and say, "Hey, I got an evaporatorized stuff." I was like, "Dude, you got sixty more. I'll be there tomorrow." It's not really an <laughs> emergency, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Supermarket, if it breaks, you should have been there yesterday, and it shouldn't have broken. Oh yeah. Yeah, I have some guys that I know that do the supermarket and stuff, and you know, hats off to those guys. Um, those are the I feel like that's very hectic too, you know, uh, dealing with supermarkets, uh, when that stuff goes down and and whatnot, I'm in my own little niche, you know, kitchen refrigeration, pretty comfortable doing that. So, you know, light commercial for me. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, like I, one of my favorite pastimes and people make fun of me for this. I was like, I love cleaning condenser coils. I think that is one of the most relaxing things ever. I'll put music on, put my waterproof earbuds in there and just, clean coil because i'm not thinking about anything i don't have to it's just i don't know it's just something i like doing the ice in cases anyone else can keep that i'll clean yeah. the coils all day long though yeah the whole maintenance thing i used to hate that actually but like when i started i was i, I really wanted to i guess do too much i wanted to uh you know work on the hardest equipment you know i want to be challenged um, I got bored really easy, so I hated doing maintenance because we did a lot of maintenance for like hospitals, um, of course, restaurants, because that's what we mostly do, but hospitals. So that meant like the refrigeration that also meant like the the hot side, because our company does uh, the cooking equipment, too. My dad does that half of the of the uh, company, but I had to help. You know, when I started, I was just a helper uh, for him. So I did uh, fryers and grills and dishwashers you know stuff like that and even with the refrigeration stuff because we got into that too uh we had a guy that that would i guess we would subcontract for that until i can get my license and all that but i don't know i I didn't like it when i started i wanted to be out there like fixing shit so uh now i i I do enjoy it a little bit more because it's the calming days you know it's a little more relaxing and uh, i don't have to be like or, I mean, today I was in the hot weather, but most of the time it's usually you can schedule that stuff when you want to. Yeah, 100%. How, I mean, so how long have you been doing this? I'm going on 16 years. Okay. So, like, when I 
So when I got out of school, I took a year off because I didn't know what I wanted to do after high school. Yeah. And I was going to go into electrical engineering. So that's what I started uh, my college for. You know, I that's what I picked or whatever. Um, then my dad started his company and actually had a friend of mine that wanted to to work with us. And, you know, he was like, my dad was like, I need a refrigeration guy. He doesn't want he doesn't want competition in the building with him right because they would call him for the hot side and then call somebody else for the cooler or whatever mm -hmm. so i was like okay we looked and my or not my college because i went to back then it was utpa i don't know what they call it now utrgv or something it was a university here uh but the community college had an hvac program which you know was great for me i had a good experience there a lot of hands-on because they did training boards you know they had all these and it was a variety because they did residential. Uh, we even did window units, even though I don't work on those. Um, they had window units there that we worked on with uh, walk-in boxes. Um, I did have an industrial class, but of course we couldn't, you know, hands-on that. It was just like we would go to the the chiller there at the school and, and they would go over like the different parts and stuff. So I got a good experience out of it personally and a lot of hands-on. See, it's, it's funny. Like I, I work, I obviously, you know, advanced refrigeration right it's it, a lot of it's refrigeration but i i love there's certain things i do actually like really working on when i was up in connecticut um you know you have because it's a lot colder up there right you have these uh burners on the main main air handlers that could be a million btus so there's a linkage there's a controller that just controls everything about this freaking burner and like that kind of stuff or working on like a munters unit i don't know if you're familiar with munters uh not really Okay, so it's it, what it is. It's it's a uh, a dehumidification unit. Um, what they do is they actually run the air through desiccant. Because desiccant is the, the the stuff that's in filter dryers. It's also the yeah. stuff that you find in brand new shoes. It says don't let your kids eat it. Yeah, I, I give I give them out for Halloween. I just collect them <laughs> over the year, and then I just give them out for Halloween. Um, but so they use desiccant in order to dry out the air. Um, it actually desiccant can get uh, air depends on like. The capacity and stuff you can actually get it down to about negative 88 degrees uh fahrenheit dew point yeah um, i think the the walk-ins at our hospital started putting that stuff in the in the boxes yeah it's something on the ceiling oh really that's interesting they, there's like a bracket and it looks like it has that like a bag of that stuff in there get the hell out i, I never asked them what it was for because we didn't put them in there so I started using Deskant uh, when I first was introduced to Deskant. I used to work on these Deskant air dryers. So, we, you know, you'll see a lot of uh, factories. They'll use uh, pneumatics to open and close doors, right? Because it's, it's you know, less energy than it is, I guess, for, um, you know, for like electric doors or whatever, right? And if you're, you know, a typical refrigerated air dryer, you can only get the dew point down to about, 35 degrees because once you get down below that then the water is going to start to freeze so the water is basically going to freeze within the unit so they use desks again so if, if if the pneumatic doors are in a place that you know like a industrial cold storage facility where it has a freezer in there um they'll run their compressed air that operates all their doors through desiccant so then what that what does that mean so if we get the dew point of that air down to negative 88 that means it has to be negative 89 in order for moisture to actually start dropping out right mm -hmm. it's the same concept if you take a can of beer out of a fridge and you take it outside what happens instantly with the can starts to sweat that's the dew mm -hmm. point right but if you take that same can of beer and go into the freezer uh, it's not going to sweat because now it's colder 
than what the dew point is of the can. Essentially, the can's warmer, so it's not gonna not gonna sweat out. Yeah. Uh, uh, the chat is getting a little spicy over here. I don't know Uh-oh. what they're talking about racks and different things. Um, yeah, Jonathan is a. I can't post the. I, I can't pin the comments because my streamer is not working anymore. But Jonathan's one of those guys. Uh, he works in the big supermarkets like Walmart. Mm-hmm. Um, so he posted racks all day. Uh, he works here in the valley too because he's uh seen me on the roofs as well because he works at. Or I work at the like the malls next to where he's at and stuff. So mm-hmm. they're talking about racks and other kind of racks in the chat. <laughs> I need to get to the actual questions. Boobs. Boob, uh, some boobs, someone boobs, asked. Boobs. Yeah, someone asked about uh suction line dryers. What about? See. Oh, I guess he's had disagreements with technician on or technicians on suction line dryers do they get pulled and replaced after seven to 14 days or do you pull them and leave them out that is a it's cus- it's, it's going to be a customer spec t- typically right so they're they're either going to tell you to leave them in or oh, take okay. them out um you know a lot of times you, you don't know whether they 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 left the stuff in there or out so you, you have to somehow prove that they're in there so one of the things that we do do to check that sometimes because usually filter dryer the, the caps are on the end there mm-hmm. um and just so happens if you do take out the schrader so if you, you have to pump down the rack in order to do this because you can't lose any refrigerant <laughs> but you pump down the rack and then basically take out the schrader and shove a piece of silfos in there if the silfos stops within you know an inch then you know there's a filter dryer in there uh, otherwise oh, okay. take it out and then on the on the uh, you know on some racks like Hill Phoenix Advancer CO2 racks, the transcritical boosters, they actually don't have liquid filter dryers. They actually have a liquid strainer. And oh, then okay. and then actually you know the filter that you would um, you, you know if you needed to dry the shit out, if you needed to dry the refrigerant out, because if, unfortunately with CO2, if you have uh, moisture within the system, uh, it'll actually create what's called carbonic acid and it'll start eating out the inside of the pipe. Oh, no way. So um, in that instance, you would have to put, like if you were trying to take the moisture out, you'd have to put the a liquid filter dryer in the suction just because Advancer does not put liquid uh, liquid core dry, dryers yeah. in, you know, on their liquid line. They just have a, a strainer. I don't know why. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say, because he asked me that. I think that was a YouTube question, but I don't know. We don't typically deal with too much of that um i thought you had to take them out but i think i've seen them left in the system too the suction it, it uh, depends it depends on the customer like uh you know certain customers are like after you do a remodel or a startup you make sure that oh. they're in there after x amount of time after you do all the oil changes you know you, you take them yeah. out after x because they want to make sure you're catching any of that copper right so it, let's just say someone doesn't deburr stuff there's hundreds and hundreds of feet of, of, of piping right yeah so you think you're not going to catch a speck of copper throughout there is it, it's it's just going to happen and what can happen is you have that copper coming back through the suction could you know come into contact with the windings it could cut into the insulation so all of a sudden and then it, the compressor's garbage so having that's that strainer there and the you know the ass end is, is gonna is gonna help you a little bit man that some of that like because I, I was I'm, I'm on tiktok too um i post there and stuff and i, I see a lot of other uh guys that do this and there's a guy I'm pretty sure he does supermarket as well. Like there's 
I don't know how some of this stuff gets gets done or, or what, but so speaking of, you know, stuff in the in the lines and systems, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, they had this, I forgot what kind of valve it is. It's some sort of just mechanical valve mm-hmm. that they had to replace several times and that it would work and then they would get called back for it and and replace it again or, or something like that. They had something going on in that line set. So one of them finally took it apart or caught it when it was happening. Like, I can't remember what it was exactly. They opened it up and there was a, a small coupling. It would look, look like a reducer that was trapped in the line set and it had been floating around and every now and then it would get, it would get jammed and they would think it was a valve or something. And I'm like, I, like, how does, I don't know how that stuff happens, but it, it happens. We, we've, uh, we just recently uh, on, on someone's job that was having a problem, uh, a rag, a rag, a literal rag, a rag, <laughs> or, or you get pipe plugs, right? When you're doing how many thousands of feet of piping, and you're just mm-hmm. putting the shit together real quick. Because usually what we do is we hang the hangers and then down at the bottom, you basically take that 20-foot stick of, of you know, let's just say inch, inch and one, throw the three-piece, uh, uh, you know, of, of you know, Armaflex up there and throw it up on the hanger, get it up there, whatever. And just saying, sometimes, and, and sometimes also the copper piping actually has a, a, pipe, a pipe thing stuck in further. So you'll, and it's mm. fucked up because you'll have this pressure drop and you're like why why is my suction pressure at 140 pounds that shouldn't be that uh the other problem with some of the newer uh energy efficient cases they have you know because we're all running sub coolers or running co2 so very high btu per pound exchange so the liquid line the suction line will be the same and that's always a fun thing because oh. they're labeled at the top like right right at the yeah. top of the drop or whatever it says liquid and suction but hey was it Friday when he put the stickers on, or was it a Monday, or maybe it was a Wednesday? We're not going to find out. Yeah, I think the the weirdest thing I found was somebody didn't take off the the plugs off the compressors, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I've opened them up and found those plugging plugging up the the lines out there. So I don't know, yeah. shit happens. <laughs> well, so uh, even on even on the newer stuff, um, so the bits are uh, subcritical compressors. They have they have this piece in here all right it's a strainer and it goes in the suction now if anyone's ever seen the smaller copeland compressors it looks like a, it's called a k body right where the where the valves are right on the top of the head of the compressor in there the, the it's not that's not a suction gas cooled compressor because any of that that suction gas that's supposed to cool the compressor mm-hmm. is basically going right to the head so those compressors oh. k bodies either have to have the the copper uh, water jacketing running around them or it has to have a fan blowing across the uh, the you know the back end side that's why there's so much cast iron on those k bodies to transfer that motor heat right so this little piece in these subcritical bits or compressors actually what it'll do is it diverts the flow in whatever way that you put it in so if you see this is where the service valve would attach right yeah. so this, that's around the around the compressor so on this brand new rack i was doing training with these with these guys and we went out there and I just went over this. We were just talking about it. And sure as shit, two of the compressors were running nice and cold. And they were running, uh, I don't know, probably, I mean, they were sweating on the back. They were they were running nice beer can cold. Um, not that that's a term that you should be measuring <laughs> off of, but um, they, were, they were cold. And then the other two compressors were not so cold, but they were all running. And sure as shit, we just finished talking about this. And they're like, these two compressors are going off. 
Like it, he's like, we're, we've had problems with these two compressors. And I saw, and I was like, this thing's in backwards. So it wasn't actually diverting the, the suction gas across the windings first before it <laughs> went up to the head. It was going right up to the head. And, you know, on these smaller, you know, semi-hermetic compressors, they usually always have a, um, a motor protector module, right? Measuring the, the winding temperature. So if the winding temperature gets too hot, it's going to open up to make sure it doesn't grenade. Well, that's exactly what was happening. They couldn't figure out why. They were like, well, we have good superheat coming the ass end of the compressor. But because this little piece was installed improperly on two compressors, they had continual failures. Uh, the stuff you find in uh, or out there in the wild. Uh, we have HVAC guide in here. I like I said, I can't pin the comments. I don't know what happened to my yeah, streamyard. It, just, it stopped. But, uh, it, oh, it's not working for you either. No, no, because that's that was like <laughs> I was like either everyone's just listening to me talk or everyone left because I, I was, was talking. I know. I looked up and I'm like, is everybody gone? I was like, <laughs> and I pulled up my iPad and I'm like, okay, no, they're still going. Freaked out for a second. Um, HVAC guide is like I mostly do residential. I'm I'm a little lost. <laughs> uh, refrigeration. I mean that's what I love about it, right? The whole there's like so many different uh, avenues and equipment. So you've had a like you said you started in residential and I then um, what what did you mostly do? Was it supermarket? Is that yeah expertise? Yeah, probably. Um, so I, like I said, I went, I went from, uh, residential. Um, and then after residential, I, I went to commercial and at that point I was, my life was getting really, really busy. So I wanted to do something else. So I actually did appliance work for about a year. Uh, ran to a guy at a supply house about a year and a half later. He said he was looking for a refrigeration mechanic, um, to work on those air dryers I was telling you about. And I got to see some really cool stuff that, you know, the industrial air compressors are amazing. They're, you know, they I, thousand horsepower freaking a motor, um, you know, and it's really cool. Like on the, on the reciprocating um, air compressors, they actually have valves of uh, discharge and suction valves on both sides. So there's never a wasted stroke. So like, oh, you know, okay. when you push up, you now push that gas out and you come out then you pull the suction you know suction gas back out no this has valves on either side so there's never a wasted stroke so no matter what it's always compressing in either mm -hmm. either direction uh this piston when i tell you um how tall are you almost six foot yeah like right under like 510 511 you and i could hold hands and we might be able to reach <laughs> around that cylinder man uh... it's freaking ridiculous they actually had a, a gantry hoist on the inside so i did that for a little bit um, and I like the company I was working for, but they, you know, they kept telling me, be glad you have a job. You know, there it was around the time of a bad recession. And, uh, I was like, man, I'm a reefer tech first and foremost. I get a job tomorrow. I just enjoy working here. So they said that. And after they gave me a pay cut because they gave everyone a pay cut, um, I then was like, um, uh, screw you. And I'm, I ended up, I was like, cause I already knew refrigeration and now I knew the big stuff. Now I knew industrial motors and industrial VFD driven motors and all this other shit. So I made myself smarter by you know doing something that I didn't think I was going to enjoy, and so then I went to industrial refrigeration. Did that for five years. Um, some family stuff happened. I ended up moving up to Connecticut for about five years, and that's when I got that job uh, up there, you know, as a service tech, and then basically became an EMS tech. And five and a half years later, um, I decided to move to Texas, and I've been here almost eight years now, I think. So in a well, now you do trainings, right? With the uh, cool size. Um, how's that going? Awesome. 
Uh, we did uh, we did probably 270 people uh, between in-person and online training. Uh, as far as people going from the next level that they're currently at, uh, we're at, I am working very diligently at making all these different trainings, uh, advanced, uh, CO2 intro to CO2 advanced EMS. And then I'm also making some, uh, more specific stuff. Cause like with supermarkets, you know, sometimes you might have this oddball supermarket that likes this one type of system, right? So that's what they want to do with the programming is that way. So mm-hmm. I also make specific programs for that piece of equipment so what i do is i i take you know pictures of everything that i took and then uh take get the program i'll i'll put the the program on my controller that i have sitting right here mm-hmm. link it up to, to the computer i'll take a screenshot and then now then i'll have the screens on that's actually here right then once i do that i'll take the electrical drawings because all the inputs and outputs that are being controlled by this guy have mm-hmm. to control a schematic so basically you look at I show you what the program is, what the program does, what the set points are. And then that segues into, well, where the hell do I find where this thing is? And then it shows you that. So like, I do a lot of that specific training. Um, we're actually closest in, in the midst of where we purchased our, our first CO2 transcritical trainer. That's actually going to be in Houston. Uh, we're going to be doing our, our, you know, our first in-person classes uh, officially um, this training year. And I'm, pretty sure we might be getting another transcritical trainer out for california as well um we're doing a houston expansion project where we're uh, expanding uh the training center and, and and making it uh bigger than what it was you know we you know our cni side or commercial industrial side have about there's seven levels um the only place you could before do levels uh 6a and b was in california so now i gotta fly cats all yeah. the way from guardia all the way out to California. So instead of doing that, I was like, well, why don't I just build the equipment there and it'll, it'll save my department a crap ton of money because now I don't have to fly these guys, you know, all the way across the freaking nation. Right. So we did that. Uh, we, you know, I, I built out a compressor teardown table so I can start doing like compressor teardown classes. You can actually see, you know, they'll bring back compressors or I'll work with the local supply houses. Cause usually the compressors that you take back there will sit for a couple of weeks, right. Before they yeah. load them all in truck and then ship them out. So, <laughs> And they don't give a shit if they if they get taken apart. Like if you have the availability and you have a semi hermetic compressor, take that thing apart and find out what the hell happened inside. You know, it yeah. will prevent you from having a failure in the future. I promise you that. And you talk to Bitzer, Carlisle, Copeland. I don't give a shit who you talk to. They're going to tell you we want you to take it apart. I want I want you to know why it did it because I don't want you have to coming back to me and saying, "Can I have another compressor? This one grenaded too." You know what Man, I mean? Man, yeah, because uh, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I started saving some. I want to take some apart too, and and cut 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 into them. But most of the times, when when you're dealing with with the compressors and stuff, you you know, there's either a reason, you know, bypassed safety or or something that that happened to that compressor, or it's not the compressor at all, and you know, you're swapping out good compressors for good compressors, basically, and uh, and you know, it was something else. Because I'll be honest, when I started, there was a couple times where well, actually, a couple times wasn't my fault. I got, I don't know why, but I got a defective compressor. That actually happened to me twice over my career where like it just, it would, it would, uh, one of them would just over amp on start. Mm-hmm. Like nothing was wrong with it. Now, I don't know the science behind it or anything like that, but, um, and there was another one that, that wouldn't start or it did something similar. It was, it was when I started. So I can't remember, but 
Um, other than that, you know, you have to deal with that, you know, returning the compressor and then you got to tell them, well, you know, so this I and this happened or, or what, or, <laughs> and uh, yeah, more times than not, it's usually user error or something of, of that nature. So yeah, if you can, uh, like I watch a lot of guys on YouTube that, that take them apart and stuff like that. So it's always good to see the internals because us, you know, as, as service techs, you know, we just, we're swapping out parts and sometimes we don't know what, what, how something works or um, the internals and all that kind of stuff. And then once you start looking into it, you get a better understanding of what it's supposed to do, how it affects this or that, or, you know, when it overheats, what, it, what exactly happens to the compressor, which more times than not, you know, like a lot of things that are a lot of the ones that I see that die, you know, the high pressure control for some reason was left bypassed. Either they uh, left it like that or they meant to come back or something of that nature. Just, you know, I see it, you know, you already know that's, that's the issue, but uh, yeah, like I said, visual, I'm a visual learner. I think a lot of us are and being able to see that. Um, I think, okay. Jonathan was asking if, if, if it's only Colsey's that you do this through, or does anybody else have access to your trainings? No, if, I mean, I, no, unfortunately not. You'd have to, you'd have to be an employee for Coolsys. Um Okay. Can't listen to Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. There's some good stuff on there. Yeah, be sure to check him out on his podcast. Um, uh, you, you're on YouTube. You're on podcast. You're on Instagram. So. Yeah, and 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 I started uh, trying to put the the some of the some of the podcast uh, up on YouTube uh, in in Spanish subtitles. Um, oh yeah, I saw that. The, yeah, a lot of a lot of the cats uh, that that I work with, you know, I work with a lot of a lot of guys from Florida. I work with a lot of guys in, uh, you know, in Texas, obviously, in Arizona, and that, and and it's like I said, I, I'm just trying to get people to just get the information out there, right? I, you know, I the reason why we started the podcast, um, I don't sleep well usually, and uh, I think it was like three thirty in the morning. I went down a YouTube hole, and I was just like, oh my god, someone's gonna fucking die. <laughs> and so I texted Kevin at like, I think four, I think I waited at least waited till four. Cause he usually gets up, goes to the gym in the morning. And I was like, do we need to start a podcast? He's like, why? I was like, cause someone's going to die. He's like, I was like, but <laughs> someone's going to die. Like, like, like there's, there's so much bad information out there. Like, I mean, that's why I, you know, I'm, I'm glad, you know, the, the, the people that, that we usually deal with on the regular, like all, you know, all those cats are, are, are good mechanics. You know, they, they, they know what they're doing. They're, they are being safe in what they're doing. You know, um, and, and, and I'm appreciative of that because I mean, you know, you, you only get one body, right? So you got to be safe the whole time. Like, uh, I, I don't know what it is with refrigerant burns, but everyone always wants to be a hero when that, that hose starts to spray in. I don't just, care. If yeah. Just let it go. Pounds, let it, let go. it go. It's not worth it. Yeah. Man. I had, I had to mention that a couple of times. Cause I'm like, like, I guess yeah i guess like you want to be the hero or whatever like just it's not worth it um always i try to always wear gloves i try to have as many you know i have the ball valve adapters on my hoses or, or something where i can shut off um like on the high side because you get a lot of blowback from mm -hmm. that uh hose being so long just whatever it is you know try to to limit the refrigerant coming out but then if it comes out yeah i mean it's not worth it so you were talking about bad compressors before, and I, I need to tell you this story because this is one of my favorites. So uh, I was okay. in the middle of, of, uh, of in the middle of Pennsylvania, uh, and 
I was at a, uh, I think it was this slaughter transport. So you, you get all the, the, the cows on the hooks, you know, in this room and they just divvied up to the, you know, the local butchers or whatever. And I was there to replace the 3d brand new 3d right out of the box. So I get up on the roof, put the compressor in crane came, took the other one back downstairs, light it off. And within about, I think five minutes or maybe less, it went off an internal. The only reason why an internal goes off is for usually two reasons, higher amperage, high temperature, right? Because if you, if you actually, if you took a, a 3D and you took the pecker head off of, you know, with the electrical uh, connector, there's a whole bunch of five sixteenths bolts underneath. There's like 16 of them. If you take them up, you pull that up, you'll see where the three wires go on the bottom of the terminal block, right? Right where the pecker head covers it. And then you also underneath, there is an actual, three phase overload that is that is bolted with two machine screws directly on the stator so it's actually measuring the temperature you know to make sure it's not overheating right so if yeah. you have a compressor that's blown by that's why it that's why basically it overheats because all that discharge gas is right going through i had good superheat i didn't have oil failures i had beautiful freaking everything everything was working just fantastic and i call my boss at that point real cool guy but i was like i i, I can't figure this out He's like, what do you mean? You're like, you're in the middle of nowhere. Just figure it out. I'll get someone else that really, you know, really can do it. Then I was like, so I hung up the phone. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to step away. So when I stepped away, I had the model number of the compressor. I started looking up the information because I wanted to see exactly what amperage that overload came up by. Right. Because yeah. it doesn't say when it trips. Right. It says max, you know, and that's it. It's not going to trip right at max though. So if the, the amperage. Yeah. 48 amps is not going to trip right at 48 amps, right? So there's a 230 volt compressor. So you'd expect the amperage to be a lot higher for a 3D. We're talking like 15 horse probably, right? And um, I'm reading and, and, and I'm dyslexic and I and I read really stupid. So I have to use like an index card when I read because otherwise, like as I'm reading, I will totally fuck up a story. So example, um, if I'm reading my kids a story about Dick and Jane riding an elephant and then going eating lunch, I now have fucked up that story so bad that now Dick and Jane are eating the elephant and now my kids can't go to sleep. So, um, yeah, so I have to use an index card. So anyway, so I'm reading through this book, but I started going from bottom up and, and that's how the, the compressors are labeled, but they start at the higher voltage down below and then they go to lower voltage. So the thing was tripping out at 21 amps, even though the RLA was 43. Mm. And I'm looking and I'm like, huh, 575 volt overload. That trips at 21.9. <laughs> no fucking way so i go back out to the compressor and i was like no it definitely said 230 i checked it when i was at the supply house mm. and i'm like i'm maybe <laughs> maybe the overload's wrong or something so i, yeah. I literally i you know I, I pumped the compressor down got it no no refrigerant in the compressor busted open those 16 5 16 screws put it on its side took the overload out Went back downstairs to the truck. I'm reading through, and sure as shit, they put a 575-volt overload in a 230-volt compressor because it ran, and it ran. Yeah, I was going to say, the volt, the voltage was right on the compressor, but yes, the overload, yes. okay. So the overload was rated for 575. So the higher the, the, higher the voltage, the lower the amperage, right? So you would yeah. put a lower amperage limit in there. And that's essentially what happened. It was supposed to be running an RLA of 43, but was failing at 21.9. And yeah, 
that was that that was one that i'm really really proud of like that like that i thought that was the coolest freaking thing and i was young too you know what i mean i was still living in pa and that was shit 12 years ago yeah man like um just you know figuring out stuff especially when you're new um it's a, it's a great feeling and it just goes back to like you know paying attention to all the details and you know that that's good that you found that because i would have that's a hard one to find um and you, you sometimes you have those head scratchers and then you need to take take a minute like you said kind of calm down a little bit and you're like what's really causing this but oh man i've never i've never heard of that well and sometimes it's luck too man so i was i was working with a kid yeah, you catch something. Um, yeah, and so like I tell people like when they walk into a motor room, like get used to what it smells like, get used to like what it sounds like, the and sounds and everything. Yeah, 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 and like just look for anomalies, right? Because that, that's what I do. I look for something that's just way off the wall, right? And so he's working on this hot gas system, and he, I, I guess he's had like four other people there, and I, I came over there to help figure it out, and I, I noticed right away that the the liquid line ball or uh our uh, solenoid valve was rebuilt recently okay this is a yeah. two-pipe hot gas system but this one particular valve this liquid line solenoid is a bi-flow valve actually so if you if you actually open up one this is what a typical sporlin uh plunger assembly looks like right it has that one hole mm -hmm. this is one from the same exact valve but you see how it has two holes there? Oh, okay, yeah. There's a little ball in there. So you see there's a metal piece stuck in the top here. So that check, it actually can make the valve go. You see, flow can actually go in either direction, all right? As long as I've been doing this, I know for a fact that no one ever has the innards for a bi-flow check valve. You'll actually see it. It'll, it'll say CV instead of just V in the beginning. And I, they've never had that in stock. I always have to wait for it for some, some reason. Um, so the balance of probability was someone probably messed up and put the wrong guts in and it just didn't have the right flow. So this kid's been working on this for four fucking days. So I, it's like, get, grab, grab this Cooper, go down, go down there and, and, you know, but you know, put it on the suction line. And he's like, it's not going to fucking work. It's not going to work. It's not worth four days. I'm like, just, just, I just want to see what you get. So he's down there. I was like, so what's happening? What's happening? I had my little, my, cause I usually carry a six and one, my meter, uh, okay. A reefer wrench you know and a little adjustable so i went on the back end inside of the solenoid and there's, there's a manual stem on there i drove the manual stem and he's like see it's not getting hot <laughs> what it's getting hot it's getting hot well what did you do what did you do i was like and all i said was i was like 28 seconds and I, get your ass up here and i hung up he's like what the hell is that supposed to mean 28 seconds i was like that's that's how long i've been here <laughs> Oh, he felt so bad, but like that, but is because what, what I did first, right. I looked around the motor room to see if you saw any anomalies, right. Cause you'll, sometimes yeah. you'll, you'll catch that thing. That's why I'm a true believer in keeping the equipment clean. Um, mm -hmm. it makes it easier to find leaks. Um, you know, I, I, dude, I will get down and I will start, you know, literally spraying all the compressors down, all the controls down with green clean. Cause then you can, you know, one, it gives your, your customer this warm and fuzzy that you actually did something. And you did, oh, yeah. you, you know, you're, you're basically helping yourself find leaks for later. Um, and, and it just, it, it just makes it easier when you're going to work on stuff. Yeah. That's what I try to tell. Like, you know, my brother, he's younger than I am and any guys that I work with, I'm like clean. Like we, we mostly do rooftop units, you know, walk-ins 
clean around it, you know, wipe stuff down, uh, wipe the carefully, you know, wipe the labels uh, on the compressors and everything around the unit just so it's easier, you know, the next time. And then, like you said, you can see if there's a leak. You don't know if it's old oil or new oil, you know, stuff like that. So definitely uh, try to do that, even if we're not doing maintenance or anything, you know, just try to wipe it down. Uh, if we are doing maintenance, then for sure, take the time, you know, take all the panels off, clean everything, even if it's stuff that the customer doesn't see. Because uh, for residential, I guess it makes more sense because the customer will come out and look at, at the unit, right? And if it doesn't look clean to them or it doesn't look any different to them, they're going to say that you didn't do anything or, or whatever, you know, comes up. Um, as far as like commercial or what I do, I've invited the managers up. I think they've only taken me up on it like twice, but you never know. You know, you never know if somebody's going to go after you. What I always tell people is it might not be the customer. They might get a second opinion or even a coworker. If you're working at a, a big company, you know, if you do something wrong, you leave something dirty, you leave trash up there, you know, after doing, you know, a part change out or a compressor change out, whatever, you know, take the compressor down. I've seen so many places that have like a graveyard of compressors on the roof. I, I, I never understood <laughs> that. I never. And, uh, yeah, the compressors, the boxes, I've, I'm like, man, this we have to end up cleaning up after them. And uh, you never know, you know, the customer might go up there, another company or another tech at your work might be like, hey, this so-and-so did this. So-and-so is not a good tech or, or whatever. Like, just always keep that in mind. Like, somebody's going to come after you. Even us, like, we are, we're pretty confident with our work. You know, we try to do the best to our ability or whatever. You know, we have budgets and NTEs. You know, we got to do all, all that stuff. But the one thing is we take pride in our work and um, clean up after ourselves. You know, all that stuff my dad kind of implemented on us, even though he doesn't do HVAC, it's like, you know, it's across the board, you know, stuff like that. And, um, you know, we, we would think, oh, we're the only ones working here or whatever, you know, uh, they're, they, they always tell you we're, you're the only one we'll call or, or this and that second opinions happen or, or bids happen. And somebody else will go out there and they'll be like, they didn't do this or they left this up there. You know, they'll, they'll tell on you real quick. Well, yeah, they want to make themselves look good, you know? Yeah. Man, I didn't uh, realize it's been an just, hour 40. I'm so sorry. I feel bad. No, now. it's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, just real quick, HVAC boss Angel is in the chat. He's been waving and waving, oh, uh, <laughs> trying to get our attention. But uh, Angel just showed up there. I don't know. The stream yard's not working, so I'm trying to read it off my iPad. Yeah, now he's like, Adrian doesn't even care. I'm right here. I'm reading the chat. There's some other stuff going on in the chat, too. Uh, Jennifer was like, oh, good. Brett can't see what I'm what i'm saying now no because i'm not saying I, i'm not like i don't want to keep looking down like i'm like i'm oh yeah i'm checking out tinder while i'm on a, on a podcast no I'm, no I'm, like i was i was legitimately trying to look to see what was going on in the chat but i'm getting old so no it's just like guys checking in uh what's up ben oh yeah ben Poole is in the house ben pool uh, angel is yeah he's like angels taking over the chat um I'm sorry I kept talking I feel like I haven't answered anyone's questions I just keep rambling. Well they're talking about like racks and I don't know Jennifer was <laughs> chatting with somebody else right now. Uh so you do you deal with a lot of a uh, CO2, right? Mhm. Mm How you have to be really well trained on CO2. So you know here's the funny thing. So CO2 for the most part 
um, it, it, it depends on what type of system. You got a couple different types of systems. You have uh, what's referred to as a cascade liquid overfeed system. So what will happen is they'll run like an HFO or an HFC. They'll run a, a saturated section of approximately negative 20 or negative 27. I'm sorry, negative 27. So by maintaining a negative 27 degree saturated suction, I can get my CO2 to basically be negative uh, 20. And it just goes, there's these heat exchangers on top of this big uh, vessel, which I refer to as a, it's almost like a thermal siphon. So it's a liquid vapor separator. So there's heat exchangers stay on top. So where's the vapor going to go? If you have vapor CO2, where's it going to go? It's going to go up, right? It's, it's lighter than the, the liquid yeah. CO2, right? So what happens is it goes into the heat exchanger, gets refrigerated by the HFC or HFO, then brings the physical temperature down of that CO2 down to negative 22 on these on our negative 20. So on these cases, though, there's no there's no expansion valves. There's no pulse width valves. There's no bipolar valves. There's no mechanical valves. The only thing that's there is a solenoid valve. They're actually okay. using the CO2 is almost like a glycol um, where they're running it out. And because these coils are flooded, so typically, you know, as well as I do, most evaporators have a 10 degree TD, right? So if we wanted mm -hmm. to try to maintain, you know, negative 10, we'd have to maintain negative 20. No, because that's only at a, like a, you know, a three to five degree superheat. If you get that superheat where you have a flooded evaporator, the heat exchange is amazing. Um, and, and basically you could actually, you know, float your suction pressure up and that's essentially what we're doing. Um, and there's no compressor. So you don't give a shit if, if you get, if you don't boil off all the refrigerant, cause it goes back to this, this liquid vapor separator anyway, and then just gets reconstituted. It's a, it's a centrifugal pump. I think it's called a Grumfoss. Um, they have a shop out in Houston, um, that sells their, their self-contained, uh, CO2 pumps. Um, that, that pressure typically on that system runs usually at 210 suction vessel pressure. And then the pump usually knocks it up about 35, 45 pounds. So that's one flavor of CO2. Then we have, then we have uh, uh, cascade, uh, direct cascade. So you'll have the same, the same type of setup. Um, but instead of the compressors um, operating at, um, operating at a negative, a negative pressure, they're just trying to bring the CO2 uh saturated condensing temperature down to 25 degrees so basically they have a co2 compressor on this one on the first system that i described no co2 compressor that's just yeah. pumps just centrifugal pumps this guy has hfc compressors so now they're running a lower compression ratio because you're only trying to maintain 16 degrees saturated rather than negative 20 right so that negative that 16 degrees saturated will actually give you about a 25 degree liquid co2 temperature which goes to a regular conventional vessel which that means your vessel is going to be at around 450 psi your suction on your co2 is going to be approximately about 210 and those actually have you know a, a, you know co2 compressors so you have to make sure you're controlling the superheat so this is not like a pump liquid system you're driving that co2 out there with the compressor um they usually run it through a d superheater um before it goes to these plate to plate heat exchangers because Braised plate heat exchangers do not like really, really high temperatures. They don't like temperature fluctuation. So they try to yeah. usually maintain about 95 degrees going to those heat exchangers. It's not too much. Um, that basically that that condenser is basically now taking the liquid refrigerant, using that energy to basically condense the vapor CO2 into a liquid. Goes in the receiver, goes out normal way 
comes back via the compressors. But like I said, on those cases, we actually have something that's actually controlling the superheat. So we have a controller that's basically turning turning the valve on and off or you know whatever uh, based off of the superheat and the discharge air. And then and last, what, what kind of pressures do you see on those? So on the vessel, on the vessel, you'll on that one you'll see about 450, and then you'll see uh, about 210 on on the suction now co2 has a very very high pt uh relationship right so yeah um, at 80, 87 degrees is 1059 psi um yeah so so imagine if you will so it, this is what's messed up about co2 so on all these systems that are co2 that any co2 is going in the store mm-hmm. they have a liquid and suction ball valve like you would any other time but they have a check valve in parallel with it and the reason for that is if you were to close it off and you didn't make sure that the refrigerant, you know, you didn't get rid of the liquid first where it like just okay. rapidly expanded and it gets up to X temperature. Imagine that that pressure increase and then boom, we don't want boom. Okay. So we have the check valve in there um, that basically if the pressure of the of the coil is higher than what the rack is, it'll go around the check valve and back up. So then it, it never, never will go boom. No boom. Oh, okay. So that's the reason why we have them. So the, those valves being on those uh, around the liquid lines and suction lines are very, very crucial uh, as far as safety. Because yeah. imagine, like, if you have a coil that's at negative 20 degrees, right? That's a 210 PSI uh, pressure, right? Let's just say I closed off both those valves, and then I hit it with some 87-degree water. Can you imagine how fast that expanded, Will? Oh, man, yeah. Oh, yeah. So once again, it's there for safety. CO2, the, the more advanced you get, so, like, the... The liquid, the first liquid pump overfeed, very simplistic system. You're not really worried about superheats and all that other shit. You don't have CO2 compressors. You don't have to worry about oil separation, any like that. Then you get into cascade. Then you have CO2 compressors. Now you have these electronic case controllers. Now we're going to talk about the last uh, style of CO2, transcritical booster. So if anyone here has worked on a Carlisle uh, compound compressor, and if you don't know what that is, Adrian, it's basically a compressor that has three heads. First two heads on the left-hand side, uh, suction is attached to both of them, takes that gas, compresses that gas. That gas then goes out and into the acid of the compressor. Uh, that pressure will be anywhere from 68 to about 78 pounds. That'll be your inner stage pressure. You also have to have some liquid injection and vapor injection there. The reason why you need that is because, as you know, most of these compressors can't take more than 65 degrees entering the acid in the compressor, right? That's the limit for Copeland. Otherwise, it's going to go boom. No boom bad. Um, <laughs> so basically, we, we cool down that, that, that acid in the compressor by the liquid injection and the vapor injection. Then it goes back through the compressor and gets sucked up through that last head. So we're basically doing two separate compression ratios at the same time. We're going from 10 pounds mm-hmm. to 68 pounds and then sucking in at 68 pounds and getting it up to, let's just say, you know, 250 pounds for like a 448, 449 system. So it gives you a, two lesses of a, of a compression ratio. So you're not consuming so much energy. A transcritical booster system works exactly like that but instead of having all that shit go happen in one compressor we're making all that shit happen in two compressors so what's going to happen is you have a you have to start the medium temp first so the medium temp uh drives into what's called a gas cooler the reason why it's called a gas cooler and not a condenser uh because once co2 reaches its critical point the super critical point uh which is above 87 degrees saturated 
um, it, there is no pressure temperature relationship that they really know. They, they kind of guess at it. They kind of Dr. Seuss that they're like, yeah, it could be this, could be this. And it turns into this, what's called a super fluid. It looks like a foggy, misty, messy type thing. So, I mean, that, that's the weird thing about, uh, you know, CO2, right? You have basically four states of matter, right? You've got this weird super fluid, you have liquid, you have vapor, and then you also have dry ice, right? And dry ice actually sublimates. It doesn't melt first. It does, but it turns directly into vapor. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, you take this, take this suction gas, um, drive it through this compressor, go to the gas cooler. Um, out of the gas cooler, it goes into what's called an HPV. No, it's not the human papillomavirus. So I know some of you guys probably <laughs> already have it, but no, that's not the HPV I'm talking about. Um, this it actually controls... Uh, what it does is actually has a, a ambient temperature sensor, but it also has a temperature sensor on the drop leg of the gas cooler. Um, it also has a pressure transducer. And once it hits that super critical point, it, it literally the controller itself, it's trying to maintain a certain subcooling right there. Um, but the problem is with that, let's just say the saturated condensing temperature at that point is 70 degrees. So it, it's it's running below super critical, but it's running uh, still running uh, fairly high pressure, probably in you know, 1,100 pounds. Uh, CO2 system uh, can can be as high as 1,700 pounds, uh, 1,700 psi, which is you know that's the only real freaky thing. So it's the high pressure that kind of scares people, right? And uh, also the the weird uh, funky stuff as far as the HPV. Because here's the thing: so if we're running a 70 degree saturated and it's trying to maintain five degrees of subcooling, then theoretically the, the line should be about 65 degrees, right? Would you agree with that math? Okay. Yeah. Okay. But here's the messed up thing. The HPV, when it opens up, it basically drops that pressure down to a, uh, a lower pressure. So even yeah. though you have 65 degrees, now your saturated suction of the, the CO2 is like down to 39. So like theoretically you're like, well, didn't all that disappear and just turn to vapor? <laughs> well, here's the thing. When you're running subcritical, um, you know, that HPV, that tran that transcritical rack, um, will basically create probably 70% liquid and the rest of that vapor is, is basically boiled off. Uh, the reason why the next place that that refrigerant goes, the flash tank, why it's called a flash tank is because there's constantly you know, a flashing off of refrigerant happening because you're pulling off the vapor. Um, the way I can explain a flash tank. So the theory kind of makes sense, um, is if you have ever recovered refrigerant from a rooftop unit. And you had this magic uh, recovery cylinder where for some reason the red was the vapor and the blue was the, uh, the liquid. They were swapped. The colors were, 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 were right, but the, you know, as far as what it said on the cylinder, um, okay. as far as, you know, which one was wrong. So if you've ever, like, put that refrigerant back into a system and you actually hooked up onto the vapor, what happens when you do that? The bottom of the tank starts frosting up, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dropping the pressure. You're dropping the saturated, so you're inadvertently actually creating that liquid is starting to flash off because you're pulling the vapor and dropping that pressure down. Same thing what happens when you when you fucking grill, right? You're, you know, gr grilling outside, and the LP cylinder starts getting all frosty-frosty because you've been grilling for six hours. You're basically pulling that vapor <laughs> off that propane. You're boiling yeah. off the fucking the propane that's in there, and that's essentially what a flash tank is doing. So besides the high pressure... The whole supercritical fluid crap and, uh, you know, the, how the flash tank basically acts like a oversized recovery cylinder when you're pulling vapor off the top. Those are the only three differences. Everything else is, is just straight up. You're still doing direct expansion. You're still trying to control superheat. Uh, th there are some little nuances like most Copeland compressors, right? They'll tell you the minimal superheat you want on HFC or HFO compressor is 20 degrees. 
no lower than 20 degrees of super heat, but no higher than 65 degrees Fahrenheit, which totally makes sense for all you air conditioned cats out there. Because, you know, basically you're maintaining what? 48, 40 degrees saturated, right? 40 plus yeah. 20 equals 60. So you're still under the 65 degree mark. And then the only time you might not is when you have a stupid load, like you just got the system up and running from being broke. Where's it going to run? Around 45 degrees saturated. Still going to have 65, still going to cool the shit out of the compressor, right? So besides those three other things, man, like CO2 is it's really the same as a, an H, uh, H, or HFC, like as far as like the normal operation. Like I said, gas cooler, super fluid, and the, uh, the whole... Um, flash tank thing because that that literally took me an hour to wrap my brain around because i'm like it doesn't make sense the numbers like, <laughs> like i'm like how does it how does it not do that you know yeah and it's it's, it's something new like like everybody uh are new to some people and same thing with the propane stuff the r290 you know they're like oh it's gonna blow up and co2 they're worried about the pressures but i mean we're going in that direction whether we like it or not Dude, um, you guys are going to start seeing in the light commercial stuff. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say you guys have it in, in supermarket only right now. Right. Uh, yeah. And supermarket industrial, uh, like industrial style facilities. Right. So um, then eventually we'll, we'll see it trickle down. Yeah. I mean, as long as you, but th that's the thing. So if they can get around the equipment's fat, rather expensive, like uh, just because you know, like the, uh, the, gas cooler piping from the discharge of the high stage compressor uh going into the uh going into the gas cooler all that has to usually be either stainless steel oh, uh, okay. and it has to be tig welded um, or it has to be what's called as h i'm dyslexic so i always screw this up hxp yeah extreme high pressure it's it's a mueller product it's basically it's copper uh copper uh tubing uh, but it's made it's made with uh, iron clad so it's not just straight copper it basically gives it a, a better burst rating uh, to handle those excessive pressures um, i'd rather see it stainless because we all know that copper does eventually get a little brittle and you know from vibration and whatever else have you so like I, from the discharge line honestly i'd rather have stainless steel all the way through i get it, it's a cost yeah yeah i mean copper there, there's i think there's several things that can go wrong with copper but i guess we'll see um jonathan here heard that target has co2 single refrigeration systems uh yeah, jonathan yeah. i think he's the one that does walmart's uh it could i mean i know they they have some small co2 like self-contained type stuff oh okay maybe that's what he's talking about like because yeah. i know i know i know um a lot of a lot of different big box stores are, are pushing the whole we're going natural that's what yeah that's, that's where you're gonna yeah that's where you're gonna see it um those those stores and like i said i like i don't remember what it was but coca-cola and pepsi had some stuff too where it wasn't like at the time i only was familiar with 134a and 404 and then i started seeing them you know buy new equipment and it was something else and i was like whoa um and that, that's funny right we're, we're phasing out a lot of stuff now because when I started, I didn't see R12 or I saw very little R22, but 410 was new. 404 was relatively new. And now all that stuff's getting replaced. Oh, uh, HVAC boss. Can we talk about what do you want to talk about? Oh, the no, HVAC Tactical Awards 2024. Um, Angel, you need to come back on the show and we can talk about anything you want. 
and, and tell Tito to come on too. I've been trying to, we've been talking about it. Uh, let's and see. Ben, I know you're listening, so you got to put some refrigeration wards in the HVAC wards. Oh Same. man, they had, they, I don't know how many, uh, uh, categories they had, but yeah, I would love to see some refrigeration stuff or, you know, something of that nature. You were there last, last time, right? Oh yeah. I met you at the, at the booth at, uh, Sporland. Yeah, I, I was, uh, I was, I've been Chris's date for the past two years at, <laughs> at the tactical awards. I'm always his plus one. Yeah. I didn't Actually, get to make it to the Vegas one cause of my flight, but I made it to, to last year's or this year's. Yeah. I, um, that year of, of Vegas, I, I was, uh, I got stuck in Vegas for three days. I was going to, we were going to go to the podcast pavilion and actually do a podcast from there. And, and I was like, no, it's, it's, it's going to get storm in Dallas. I'm going to get screwed. I'm going to leave early. So I got to the airport early trying to get an earlier flight. I got an earlier flight and I'm waiting and all of a sudden done. She got canceled. I was like, it delayed, it delayed, it delayed. And then finally canceled. And I was like, dude, now I got to find a hotel. And like, what do I do? Like, how long am I going to stay there? Am I going to keep going back and forth? So I decided to, uh, I didn't know that uh, Vegas hotels, and now that I think about this in hindsight, it's kind of creepy, but they, they, they charge these rooms in the, for the, for there's like a, a gym downstairs and they charge these rooms per the hour. And I, I didn't think about it at first. And then I think I might've just made the dots right now, but it's fine. <laughs> I stayed there for about nine hours. Cause I was like, my flight's at four o'clock in the morning. I really don't want to get a hotel and, and have to come back in Uber. So I'll just stay in this, in this room. So I did that and then woke up the next morning waiting for the wait, waiting for it, waiting for it and delayed, 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 canceled. So I think I was stuck in Vegas, like in between the hotel. I felt like Tom Hanks. I was, I was, you know, just there just hanging out for like the next three days. I didn't even know they did that. I think I heard you talking about that on the, on the misfits uh, podcast. I, I have, I have some of the most interesting <laughs> conversations with people all the time. And my travel, I, they stopped me and I had a, I had a relay. I, so I was, I came back from Houston uh, and I was like, I need to remember to order this relay. So I put the relay in my computer bag. So I remembered to do it. I did not remember to do it. So I got through security and uh, <laughs> they always say you have a lot of stuff going on. So I have like two computers and a whole bunch of wires and shit. So it kind of looks kind of sketch as, as it is. Uh, the only reason why I don't get tackled is probably because I have TSA pre-check. But um, yeah, so <laughs> I'm going through and they're like, what is this? And I'm like, shit. Like, it's this double pull, double throw <laughs> relay. Well, why do you have it in there? And the only thing I can think of, I was like, all right, go with the answer that, that your wife would say. Because I, I, I'm a fucking idiot. I, I, don't, I don't know. What do you want me to say? <laughs> so you travel a lot for the, the training, right? Yeah. So um, like I said, besides... You go back and the, forth? Yeah. Well, before, besides having the four training centers... Um, uh, like I said to you before, I, you know, I make curriculum for, you know, let's just say XYZ supermarket comes out with a badass piece of equipment, right? But they didn't give any information about it. So I'll, I'll, I'll take all the drawings, I'll take all the PNID diagrams, basically all the piping and stuff. I church it up, I throw it up on, you know, put, I put pressures and temperatures of what to be expected via the engineering. So they have something to look at, right? So they don't have to do the footwork. And like I said to you before, well, you know, I'll take the, uh, I'll take, you know, some of the program and break it down with some of the electrical schematics so they can actually see what that part of the program is actually doing to that. And I'll make specialized programming or specialized training for that piece of equipment. So I'm actually going to be in, I'm flying into Jacksonville 
and then driving driving down i think tuesday down to fort myers which i think is a four and a half five hour ride and then going to be there teaching for two days and then getting back on on the plane thursday night and heading home um so like i i do stuff like that too like we're you know i'll put on you know trainings for for you know other people that you know need help with something or whatever you know if they want me there for a little bit of support and my time's getting limited though. That's the only thing I, I, I feel like I'm always getting pulled in 60,000 directions. Uh, yeah, I, I can tell. I mean, you, you have a lot on your plate. You do a lot of, uh, you know, you do the training, you do your, and you do your podcast and you know, it's good stuff though. Uh, yeah. Like you said, if anybody needs to, I, well, cause you, you train for cool size um, specifically. So, mm-hmm. If anything, they can, you know, uh, check out the podcast because you'll post or talk about that stuff there. And that's where I heard you talk about, you know, the CO2 and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, it's interesting. Um, yeah, and it, 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 it's coming for like commercial. Like, it, like they, yeah, because they... I had a I was just looking at my my questions. I had a, a guy ask me, is it going to trickle down to like reaching coolers, um, all this other kind of equipment and reaching you know, coolers? They're already starting to do it for. Um... They, they have a small transcritical boot a booster system but it looks like it, it it would be like a a housing for like a five like a five horsepower bone unit you know how big that's going to be right as far as the dimensions and they actually have the flash tank they have the two freaking uh you know the the two compressors they have the subcritical compressor they have the transcritical compressor um so it's it's basically a little system but it's all controlled with plcs and stuff it's so it's coming the only thing is it's expensive but i mean it has the supply chain stuff kind of you know settles out or whatever i mean you're gonna start seeing an hvac man like there's there's a couple units uh they have h hvac uh uh, co2 transcritical systems uh one of the reasons why i mean they they make awesome chillers chillers they're freaking amazing this one guy was we had him on his name is damon reed He, he works for pro refrigeration and he uh he has this chiller that basically he does it for a lot of dairy You know, people that use a lot of chilled water. But then what they also do is because CO2 is such a good refrigerant, it also heats very well. So they'll yeah. run the pressures a little bit higher, um, you know, which will run the compressors, you know, a little bit higher pressure, but higher pressure for CO2. Like if you're talking like a two to one and a three to one compression ratio for both those compressors, the transcritical and the subcritical compressor. So like raising the pressure up a little bit, isn't really going to kill the thing. Um, but he basically is heating almost all the water that they need for their process heating. So all their cleaning water and shit like that, he's basically refrigerating the chiller water that he needs and then using this other side for, you know, for a condenser, but then using that heat to basically reheat, you know, reheat their water. So that the whole unit's basically a wash as far as how much energy it's consuming. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, yeah, like the, the whole CO2, like what blew me away was, was I guess the stuff before that. Like I just saw a ice machine that had 410A in it, which I had never seen before. And then... Uh, uh, package units, the trains are using microchannels in the evaporator. So just stuff is con- constantly changing. And uh, I guess propane and CO2 are the next, the next wave, I guess. Yeah. And pro uh, propane, butane, uh, you're going to see a lot of the A2Ls, um, you know, the 454s, the R32s. And I, it, propane, propane is actually considered a, an A3 refrigerant. That's the, you know, 
think I think that's that might be the highest flammability. I'm not sure. Uh, do you deal with a lot of propane or I mean uh, R two ninety as far as like training or anything like that? Well, yeah, yeah, we're um, we actually with uh, all those self contains I was showing you before the show. Um, I think there's five oh, of them yeah. there. I think, I think two or three of them are all propane. So I'm gonna make that we're working that into the light commercial curriculum. So like I was just saying before, so we have you know the construction, the construction for commercial industrials, the supermarket, cold storage. Um, we have service for you know con construction, or I'm sorry for for uh, commercial and industrial, and then we're doing the light the light commercial stuff. So our light commercial curriculum that we're putting together, uh, basically gonna go from the start of putting your gauges on to working on ice machines, self contains, uh, rooftop units. Um, I added some VRF in there. I added a little teeny tiny chillers because I know most of the light commercial spaces, a lot of places do bars, right? So they have to make sure those lines are cold. Otherwise your beer gets all, you know, frothy, frothy and no one, no one really digs that. So I had to make sure like whatever they're going to be working on. Um, and like I said before, we, uh, I push putting the VRF in the commercial. Someone said to me, they're like, I don't want to do it. And I was like, <laughs> dude, it's coming. Like they're, they're, they're trying to do lack of refrigerant charge. Here's a really, really good way to do it. Um, it's basically a critically charged system. I was like, I really think we should put it in the curriculum. And, and we, we, we did, and it, and I'm glad we did, but yeah, that'll be one of what we're going to have. Um, I think I have an area that's just going to be VRF and split systems. Uh, it's like, I think 30 by 30 by seven is the space I picked out for that. So I was showing you all the pictures of, uh, you know, down there in Houston before the show. Yeah, that's cool stuff. Um, and that's cool that you do the trainings. You know, you do the whole curriculum. Uh, you do a lot of it yourself, right? Yeah, I, we have a development team. So a lot of times they'll, you know, when I make programs, like I, it, I call it shit on screen door. So I'm just taking whatever I can think of that it would be good. And I just throw it up on the side of, you know, making these PowerPoint, you know, PowerPoint, just, you know, things together just with ideas. And, and then I'll get it to a point and I'm like, all right, now I got to fill it up with the actual content because I know what I was wanting to do. And then I got to have someone else look at over it because sometimes like I know how I teach it. Like a lot of, a lot of things I'll, I'll teach, you know, a little bit of safety, the history, and then we'll get into, you know, starting with uh, just deal, deal, uh, learning the piping first. Cause you know, you, if you know where the piping is, it's a lot easier, especially in these racks, right? Uh, if you yeah. look at a rack uh, that, uh, the CO2 LMP makes an awesome rack, but there's just so many pipes everywhere. So if you tried to walk up on that and like, fuck, lost it. Nope, shit, lost it again. So what I do is I break it down and I, I start I start with a PNID diagram so we can actually go through the piping and talk about where what it's doing. I, I bypass all the bells and whistles at first, so the oil separation system, um, the heat reclaim system. I just go through the basic thing, and then we go over to the rack, and then we see how it's all piped. And then, you know, like our CO2 class, what we're going to end up doing is basically the rack's going to start. It's going to be flat when you get there. All the guys have to go out there. We're going to talk about pulling a vacuum. We'll pull a vacuum on it. Then after we do that, let's go read some more. Oh, now it says we have to, once it's down to a good vacuum, we have to charge it with 100 pounds, 100 PSI worth of CO2. Because if I have, if I try to add liquid before it hits 68 pounds, that liquid that you're going to put in is going to turn into dry ice. So it's not going to work good. So we got to get just vapor first before we can charge it with a liquid. 
So charge it up to 100 PSI because then you're safely away from 68 PSI. And then, you know, we go back in, we read, what do we do next? Oh, now, now we got to charge it with liquid. So we'll go out. So basically the classes that I'm trying to envelop her are going to be a lot of just back and forth, you know, because we're going to talk about, talk about, talk about, and then let's go out and do it. Talk about, talk about, talk about, let's go out and do it. Because, you know, we all know that's tried and true. Uh, a lot that's of people awesome. say. Yeah, because everybody's a visual hands-on learner. And I, I love that. So. Like I said, like I told you, when I went to school, that we did a lot of hands-on. So if you can, you know, teach it to them by the book and then have them go out and do it, that goes a long way. What's going on in the chat? Anything? Oh, uh, you don't even want to know. Uh, everybody, <laughs> everybody is like the chat went, like the chat was out of control and it, there's no getting it back on the rails. Uh, somebody, I think Val said that. Um, Brian's talking about Mortimer. I have a, I have a skeleton called uh, Mortimer Grimm that I found in the trash. He's oh, now yeah. just going to sit there. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you guys have any questions for Brett, put them in caps. Oh, okay. I just saw the Mortimer comment. Um, what color Crocs does Brett have? I don't actually tan. tan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually. Yeah, no, I do. Um, yeah. Like Ben said, anything new to the market is intimidating. Um, HVAC techs don't like change. And that's why I don't like to talk to some of the guys around here. Like, I don't want to put anybody on blast, but like. You just did. <laughs> I, I'm not going to name any names, I guess. Uh, you know, we'll talk about refrigerants and, and changes and stuff. And they're like, oh, nothing's ever happened. Or you don't need to do this or you don't need to do that. I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I or we've been. <laughs> I love this is one of my favorite things. I've been doing that for a long time like that. Well, oh yeah. Long for a real long fucking time. Yeah, and I like I I try to be uh, or I try to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, yeah, you know, you got to do this or oh yeah, like we were talking about 407C um as a retrofit and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you just got to make that that you got to do that oil change or or whatever, you know. I mean, if it's a new compressor, it'll come with POE, but uh you got to make sure that you have POE oil. And he looks at me like confused for a second. He's like, nah, you don't got to do that. It works fine. Or some people. It works fine until it doesn't. Yeah. Or some people are like, well, we never, we never get called back. And I'm like, have you been to the lo location since? Maybe they got, you know, maybe they got somebody else. You know, Yeah. Like, and that's the cool thing about being online, you know, being able to talk to you here today or, or talk to, you know, some of the guys in the chat, you know, guys that actually give a shit about, you know the work and how they do it doing it the right way um and just learning as much as they can like there's so many resources that's the main thing that i tell people you know they can check you out on your podcast if they needed co2 information stuff like that there's brian Orr, there's craig on ac service tech even chris stevens on his channel like great information on those channels hey and guys don't be afraid to like ask like you know no one, no one ever says yes if you don't ask, right? So, if there's something that you want, like you know, Kevin and I to talk about, it, like I, I'm down for anything. Like, as far as you know, I, I wanted to do a VRF one. Kevin was so against it. He's like, well, "Why are we gonna do that shit?" I'm like, "I because it's it like we're dealing with it. Like you know, people need to know how it works." And like, and I'm I'm like, it works totally opposite to what like I'm used to. It's more based off mass flow. So that's why I think that's one of the reasons why VRF has a lot of 
oil failures and a lot of compressor failures. Um, you know, basically with a rack, with a you know, rack refrigeration, we try to maintain the rack pressure at whatever saturated we're trying to maintain. That's all we do. On VRF, they have this black box, crazy, dumb technology where it's just trying to maintain um, a, a suction superheat. You know, where it's basically trying to, you know, run as much refrigerant through, you know, to get more mass flow, to get more cooling back to the compressor. Um, because a lot of the VRF stuff, they don't have, you know, expansion valves. It's just a valve that just opens up and just lets that thing flow. Um, so, you know, is it, you know, they're basically ramping up the speed of the compressor to bring more of that mass flow back. So it's it's basically like a like a kind of overcomplicated rack because i mean you you know at least with a rack i can tell you what's going on based off the sequence of operation and how it's supposed to be the problem is with a lot of these vrf it, it, it's all it's all proprietary analog information they don't want to you know they don't want to actually give you right so it, sometimes it makes it hard to diagnose unless you have the thing where you plug into and it actually breaks down every single temperature sensor right yeah i mean we all got to get uh used to used to it proper training is a big deal um if you guys i mean like a, we're at two hours and 14 minutes i don't want to keep you too long um i don't see any other questions in the chat a whole lot of uh other conversations going on brett summer teeth i don't know what's going on uh, oh oh so i went down to arkansas <laughs> And I was on, I was on the phone, with Jennifer. I was like, "Oh my God, there, I know why there's so much summer teeth down here." And she's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" I was like, "You don't know what summer teeth are." I was like, "Summer teeth are, uh, you know, when when someone has some of their teeth and some oh. not their teeth." And so I, I stopped at the gas station. I actually, I, I was, I, I drink a lot of lemonade. It's bad. I shouldn't, but whatever. So I, I got a, a little quart of, of lemonade, and I had it on my little, uh, my little fridge at the hotel, and I go to pour it out. And I usually water water it down probably like you know one, one you know one quarter of, of whatever the amount that of fluid that I'm throwing in there right. I I couldn't like I there wasn't enough water in the world to fucking de sugar that so I, like now I know why there's summer teeth in Arkansas. Um, their sweet tea is sweet and like you think Texas tea is sweet, brother? Mm -mm. <laughs> I saw see the look on your face. You're like holy shit, that's sweet because they'll yeah I, I know what that is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so okay so that's why i kept seeing that comment or right now i'm looking through and it's like summer teeth summer teeth what is summer teeth <laughs> well there you go um oh jonathan wants to know if you were in walmart home office uh, i can't confirm or deny okay all right guys uh we're gonna close this one out what's with those texans and their sugar yeah Dude, i don't know <laughs> yeah it's a thing um yeah, they can they can find you, Advanced Refrigeration Podcast, uh, Cooler Heads Podcast, Instagram, YouTube, anything else? They can email you if they need to. Yeah. All right. And if you guys have any, if you yeah. guys have any suggestions for their uh, podcast, you know, like you, you said, you're open to oh, talking yeah. about anything. Yeah. Because uh, he's way smarter than I am, and he can break it down for you. <laughs> If I always say, man, if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's 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 just you know taking pride in your your stuff, knowing your your stuff. I have textbooks on the shelf behind me, um, and I'm always brushing up. That that's the only way you get anywhere in this this trade is just keep learning. So, uh, yeah, if they need to reach out to you, um, they can email you. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, Advanced Refrigeration Podcast at gmail.com. I mean, you, you guys go, have you... any, yeah, if you guys have any questions, any topics for him, uh, like I said, check out his podcast. Uh, I appreciate everybody for stopping in. We had a hell of a chat going on, even though I couldn't see it most of the time. But well, like all of a sudden now chat. it's working. Like it, it, like it wasn't I'll... working. See, like, oh. the, like I just in... looked over 98 comments refreshed. Okay. <laughs> in Maine, we have all our teeth. I don't know if that's true. I think she's lying. Oh, now I can highlight all the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, right, right when the show ends all right <laughs> it's all right dude all right man uh yeah if i have a, a chance i'll get you back on here and we'll talk about some other stuff i mean we went over two hours but there was a whole lot to talk about i'm so uh, sorry everybody <laughs> all right man so i'm gonna hit the outro if uh you want to stick around or need to dip out that's on you and no, i'll see you guys let me hit the outro there you guys